you tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'll, you know what I mean? It's like it's like George said to Paul. You know, I'll play what you want me to play. <laughs> if you don't want me to play, I won't play at all. Mm, I, didn't, I didn't see that one yet, though. Oh, that's in the original. I don't know if it made mm. it into the 11-hour final one. Hey, everybody, this is Reconcilable Differences. That's the show you're listening to right now. Uh, I slept. My sleep is really screwed up right now. I'm, I'm still struggling with energy. I know we have this not not for this. I don't want to tell anybody about it. It's boring, but like it's really hard to get. I'm so immediately reminded of my my dear sweet sweet uh, sainted mother, and like when her health first started falling apart on different fronts, and you get to that age in particular where you've got more than one. If you got one problem in life, unless it's a very grave short term problem, you can generally manage it. It's when you have multiple chronic conditions. And as I've, as I, I mean, not to, I don't want to break HIPAA, but like once you, once you get on blood thinners, your life gets complicated. It's like they say, you know, like they say that like, uh, it is said, I can't pull the paper up, but it is said that one reason breaking a hip is such a big deal when you're older is that I guess that is a precedent. It precedes a lot of the, the loss of health and independence, not just because you broke your hip, but there's like the knock on effects and you could get an infection and you can't move around as much. And like, you know, once you break the hip, it's like, mm, everything gets more complicated, like like so much of, you know, later adulthood. And uh, me trying to get the right mix of, like, the stuff I need to stave off the uh, symptoms of my ADHD without turning into somebody who can't sleep normally, you know, pretty soon you're, you're turning into Elvis, and you're taking uppers and downers and laxatives and vitamins. And they're putting you in a corset, if I'm being honest. And that's, that's difficult. So sometimes I just, I sleep for so long and I don't feel rested. And I just want someone to knock me out for 30 contiguous days. Yeah, this is uh, in the many topics for a future episode. Uh, sleep check-in with Merlin. And the sleep <laughs> check-in will be more intensive than what you just uh, laid out there. So no, no, oh, look forward to that in a future episode. What, 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 you should get a job so you have someone to boss around besides me. Oh, God, I'm so tired of being everyone's servant. Um, John, uh, you know, this is a, one of our uh, ordinary time weeks where uh, there will not be extra added super. Uh, <laughs> I sound like Senator Geary. <laughs> what does he say? My wife, Mrs. Geary, when he talks about, uh, you know, as a special, special added bonus attraction, this young mm-hmm. man, Michael Corleone. Uh, a special, uh, we don't have our, our super extra special bonus added, but we are going to do something that seems inevitable, which is when we're, we will blow off a spoiler horn for this, a spoiler horn that I, the spoiler horn that I probably never felt is more important than the spoiler horn that we will blow late in this episode, which is, we're going to talk about the Apple TV plus, uh, series severance. And, um, I just want to warn you, warn you, I want, I, I don't like when people confuse a, a warning with a threat. I'm threatening you <laughs> with the fact that we will be talking about the TV show Severance. And even, I never know if it's in so far in as much, but even though you're certainly, if you haven't watched it yet, you are certainly tired of being told to watch it. I can't guarantee it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen, but, but boy, is there ever a lot of rich payoff. And, and then it isn't until you've gotten the payoff that you appreciate what a, goddamn journey that show really is so i encourage you to uh step out at the spoiler horn but i also i I don't like to give people tv homework even though i do that a lot but uh, you get my back on this 
Yeah, although I don't want people to be confused. That's going to be later in the episode and not now. So feel free to continue listening. We will by all, we will make it clear when it's time for you to run away. We're going to put an official Jason Snell um, foghorn, I think. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, we have that. We licensed it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's it's still so weird. Uh, I where did I last hear this? The um, TV Talk Machine uh, song, which is a one of the little themes that's included with stuff like Garage Band. Mm-hmm. I think it was an episode of Always Sunny. And of course, I think it's called like, you know, news intro or energetic news intro. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that song. Mm-hmm. And it still completely freaks me out when I hear it coming out of the TV because I always think of Jason and Tim. My beloved Friday night podcast. But sometimes the world changes, John. And you can't always have things the way you want. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Thank you for being here. You can always choose to support the show by going to relay.fm slash rd slash join. Uh, I would note, I note this here because we have to talk about what this will be, but we're coming up on our annual member uh, special episode where we bring in a guest. And uh, so far, no one wants to be a guest, but <laughs> we're going to, if you think that's going to stop us, you don't know John Craig Syracuse. Yeah, we'll find, we'll find someone. We'll make it happen. We better. Otherwise, we're going to have uh, Mrs. Unicorn Soup all over us. Maybe she can be the guest. That should be her punishment. Oh my God, that. I just I take back everything I, I said the in the first five bullets of this document. Mostly, she would be so great. Oh God, if if she and Alex were on, oh my God. But you know, enough These of this ball hypocrisy. We're going to workshop this. Hmm. Um, that's a line from Mighty Mouse, by the way, the 1988 children's show Mighty Mouse, and it's always stuck in my head. What line? Oh, there's a line. There's a, I used to love Mighty Mouse. It was a really, 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 really weird TV show in yeah, the late I 80s. It. Yeah, yeah, that and Pee Wee were the only two shows. We'd watch them back-to-back CBS Saturday mornings. My friend Michael and I would go to the disgusting Pay Dorm Second Court Lounge, and we would watch that. Oh, speaking of dorms, speaking of dorms, I know this is probably from another one of your programs. I meant to find an image for this, and I I waited, and I couldn't. But you recently tweeted what I assume are pictures of the dorms at New College. The the dorms at New College originally, yeah, that's the thing. His name is a homonym with the verb of buying something. Mm-hmm. So everybody always thinks you're saying the pay dorms is in the ones you have to pay for. Yeah, I got it. But anyway, the, well, you posted those clarified. pictures and I have to tell you, nothing could be further from what I was picturing in my head every time you talked about your school. <laughs> you mean the, the um, incredibly costly and terribly ugly brutalist architecture of 1960s Florida? <laughs> It's, that's not that the is thing brutal. that, that, that is brutalist off, ass but, architecture. So the thing that threw me off is that like my my very limited Florida experience is I went there as a kid to visit my aunt who still lives there. She lives in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. and where she lives in Tallahassee looks to live there. No, looks nothing like that college. And here's the big difference: where she lives is very much like where I grew up, where there are trees everywhere yes. covering everything. That is. An unbelievably apt point to bring up in a way that you, you probably cannot even grok how apt that is. If you can say without compromising her OPSEC, do you know, remember roughly when, when you visited her and she lived there? Do you remember roughly what area of, of Tallahassee she lived in? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know the area. Because it, is it is more very than one famous. area of Tallahassee? How, could, how big can one place be? Yeah, $10. The, uh, the thing about Tallahassee is it is justifiably... Um, well-known and revered for things like building the roads around where the big trees are, you know? And uh, so there are, there are these areas of just canopy that are unbelievable. I mean, I guess perhaps, obviously, when you're outside the most central part of town, but even like downtown, it's named after lots of problematic Confederate uh, characters. 
Um, you know, whether you're thinking, you know, Madison or Monroe or what, anyway, uh, beautiful canopies of trees, but, but something that I don't, I don't remember if I realized this or someone said it to me, but, uh, so FSU, which is the, the big, you know, college, go semen holes based in Tallahassee started, I think as maybe like a land grant college for women in the 1800s. It eventually became, you know, the big state capital school, but I would peg a huge amount of the budgeted growth of FSU. Let's put it this way. You can tell which times in the history of U.S. architecture and design money was available to build things because it's such a bizarre patchwork of styles. This might be true everywhere. This is probably really true in Boston as well. It's just they've got – they go back further it's just we have there were some buildings on campus like that main big red building that you think of as the big FSU building, um, that are you know very much like of a of a different you know century. But then like the huge spike in growth seems to be mostly concomitant with I'm going to use this wrong and I apologize. Who's the brutalist guy? Uh, oh God, who's the really super famous brutalist guy? Um, uh, the French name. Anyway, sorry. I'm so sorry, everybody. It'll occur to me and I'll scream it later. But um, so many buildings went up in the period of like inexpensive, blocky, concrete building because changes in materials, changing the availability of materials, you know, interest in things like, you know, fire safety and fire laws, all the way down to like the building at uh, uh, on the Madison uh, campus up in, uh, what city is that? Cutters. Cutters. We're, so, we're breaking Indiana, away. Indiana? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indianapolis. Is that right? Indianapolis, thank you. No. Anyway, but like they have a building there. Their humanities building was built, it had a built-in ramp around the outside to deflect protesters. And like so much of the great brutalist architecture of the 60s and 70s, very little consideration for like, like their music department is in the basement of a concrete building where humidity and, you know, Warping of cellos is, is a known issue. But that's such an interesting thing about Tallahassee. I bet there, if there isn't, there should be tours where you can look at the way American architecture and design is represented throughout the incredibly patchwork campus of Florida State University. And, see, and the thing is, the way you describe your college is, you know, a bunch of barefoot kids hanging around and not showering with long hair, smoking weed, whatever. Um, it fits I don't think perfectly, I said that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it fits perfectly with my, you know, my, my aunt uh, uh, was and probably would say still is kind of a hippie. Uh, she lives in a house on stilts in, in the forest where there is no direct sunlight. The canopy is so thick that it's just, you know, uh, it's just woods. So nice. Her neighbors are all growing their own food and all, you know, all nine all yards. And I pictured your college just like that, like a bunch of buildings nestled in the woods. Again, so so much forest, dense forest cover that there's not even any direct sunlight except for like maybe twinkling through the leaves and mm-hmm. and your dorms or these instead, nice little bills. Instead of a, a few palm trees and a lot of concrete. Yeah, and instead what it looked like was like a military base from Top Gun. And it was like, it's just like... Well, it looks like if you were to pull out on the shot of um, a Frankie Five Angels and, and where Harry Dean Stanton was watching him and shaving him himself, you would imagine if you pulled back a little further, that's maybe what it looks like where they were hiding out uh, Frank Pantangeli. It's really, it's very, in, like, industrial? Is that the right? Institutional, let's put it that way. Yeah, and there are a few palm trees here and there, but otherwise just direct sunlight on everything, which does not make no. the giant cement, you know, rectangles look uh, any more soft. Oh, man. It would be the worst kind of mix for me to get into this because... On the one hand, I have so much to say about this as somebody who lived there and somebody who worked there because I, 
I was an RA. Like I worked for the housing department. Like I had to deal with a lot. I was I was privy to a lot of the complicated aspects of living in these bizarre dorms designed by IMP. But I am by zero means a historian. My former sponsor and lit teacher, uh, Mac Miller, was much more of a student of those things. But but what what I what what is interesting about it? Like here, here's just one factoid. Um, I think it was seen as being very prestigious to bring in this very, you know, um, what's the word? Eccentric, maybe? Eclectic? Like, very interesting guy. Even in 1961, Pei was seen as being, this is, of course, 20, 30 years, 30, 40 years before the Louvre. But I think they were very happy to ally themselves with someone who is seen as, I mean, they did all kinds of wackadoo stuff. Like, when they finally broke brown, ground in 61, it's so weird. They brought soil from Harvard. <laughs> to mix with the soil from Sarasota. A little, a little on the nose. Because it represents their hoity-toity academic and congregationalist background, like these bizarre things. But here's one fact that I think is useful to explain to arriving students who are going to be living in, uh, I don't know if they know, still call them first, second, and third court, but um, they realized that this this project was getting a little bit nuts. This is building the dorms on a college that has not opened yet, with a very, very ambitious idea. The story goes that at one time, I.M. Pei actually wanted to build the dorms on stilts in the middle of Sarasota Bay. Uh, that did not get a ton of traction. By the time they were done, his cost estimates were two and a half times the normal cost of building dorms at the time, $25 a square foot instead of 10, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, don't, I, I think this, I think consideration was finally made that, hey, look, this is a college that hasn't opened yet, a private college in Sarasota, Florida, from lots of very old money. And this is all still a very unproven concept. Um, this is, of course, understand now, this is um, this was 15 or 20 years before, no, I guess it was about 10, 10 15 years before it was uh, acquired by the state and technically became part of USF. You know, it had a real tough go, but they eventually, I think, realized, hey, look, this is a gamble. Maybe in the way that we make these quote-unquote dorms, we need to make this more like a place that could like host a convention where we could have, if we needed to, we could turn these 15 by 15 rooms into fairly commodious um, accommodations for people who were there for like a conference or, you know, not maybe not a convention. But the idea was that it was going to be somewhere between like a, like, an, like a, an Omni in Atlanta, you know what I mean, and a college campus. So that's why you get these ginormous, I mean, by by most standards, a 15 by 15 room with a private bathroom is a lot of room for two 18-year-old kids. But that was the kind of thing. Anyway, I, I won't get into it because I'm not uh, – but it, but it was very interesting, and it, it was very difficult to maintain. And you know, I'm sure at this point you can probably go back and find some pretty complicated ideas about uh, – oh, I don't know, like the fact that <laughs> – you know, this is an Asian man that was designing it, and like uh, there's a lot to it, I'm sure. I just want to know how you avoided getting sunburn and you walk from class to class just out there being blasted by the Florida sun with no shelter in sight. Even at the time that I was in college, starting in 86, yeah, 86 was my first year of college. Even then, I mean, we were still very on the like sort of leading edge of like, no, seriously, you really need to wear sunscreen. So, you know, it was Florida. But what was my point from, from a really long time ago? I talked about, I said something about dorms and IM pay. We were talking about FSU, and I was going somewhere before you derailed Brutalism, me. you couldn't remember the French guy, Le Corbusier. Look, look, it's, yep. God, you stole my thunder. It was Le, Le Corbusier, yeah. 
That's the guy's Have name. Have you said I don't know how to pronounce oh, it? Something, I think they something call him like El Corbo, which I think also might be a, a song from the Weezer album, uh, Pinkerton. But Anyways, thank you so much for being here. Uh, boy, Severance. Oof. But before some- we get to that, oh, 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 Mighty Mouse. And so there's one of my favorite episodes <laughs> of Mighty Mouse, and it's still, it's very, pretty hard to find. It was a very weird show. If anybody remembers Mighty Mouse at all, and they probably don't, what they'll remember was the supposed dust up, the story that got out and, and got wings in 1988 was, oh my God, if you freeze frame this one shot, Mighty Mouse is doing cocaine in an episode of this show. Ralph Bakshi is such a bad person that he made this, he took our, our, this sweet Mighty Mouse cartoon, we loved his kids, and made it weird. Eh, it was BS, but yeah, there's one episode, I want to say it was maybe called Night of the Bat Bat, and that's a bat who's also a bat. Um, but there's just a great line where, where I'll never forget where Mighty, Mighty Mouse says, he looks at the camera and he goes, well, enough of this wallowing in hypocrisy, let's get to the important stuff. And then they cut to a commercial, and I always thought that was really funny. Mighty Mouse, check it out. It's hard to find. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Microsoft Lists. You can learn more about Microsoft Lists right now by visiting lists.live.com. Hey, are you looking for a new way to track and manage work and life from start to finish? Well, Microsoft Lists is here to help you clear your brain space and get organized. And it all starts at lists.live.com. Microsoft kicked off a preview program to try lists with your Microsoft account. It's all designed for small business and individual use. Start by creating and sharing your lists with your work colleagues, partners, your soccer team, or your neighbors. You might want to make a list of books or movies uh, for your monthly meetings. You can track home improvement and important receipts throughout the year. You can also build out team rosters for your team or your volunteer group. Pretty cool. At lists.live.com, you can get started quickly with ready-made templates. That's pretty cool. Use filters and views to visualize your information. Ooh, I'm listening. That means you can have one list with many views. Oh, so good. Then you can share your lists as links, and you can get uh, other people's thoughts. And, uh, of course, you can collaborate, work together. You can do a lot with lists. Ready-made templates save you time. Uh, or you can start out blank and add in exactly what uh, what you want and how you want to track your information. Super flexible. Uh, it's great for gift list ideas, uh, event itineraries, asset managers. Now, listen, some of you may know that I am the, uh, the nominal inventor of the hipster PDA. It does not mean public display of affection, so knock it off. Believe me, I know the power of writing things down. I think it is a huge cognitive leap from knowing that there's something that needs to happen to writing it down somewhere. And I'll tell you, sharing it with others through the global internet Nothing wrong with that. So do me a favor. You go and try this. Uh, you can try the preview right now at no cost to you. Use your internet web browser and type in lists.live.com. That's lists.live.com. You sign up, you sign in and track what matters most. Check it out right now. Uh, and you can let Microsoft know if uh, what you like and if you have any feature requests. Microsoft is listening. They can just have that. Our thanks to uh, Microsoft for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. I've never heard that urban legend, but it sounds exactly like something that a bunch of kids in New College would talk about. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. It was, you know, it's nice to be young. Um, but enough of this wallowing in hypocrisy. Let's let's uh, deal with some digga 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 follow-up. 
Yeah. Uh, my. It sounds uh, like you had one of your post-recording realizations. Yeah, I'd be listening to the episode and I hear myself misspeak once. I'm like, okay, oh, well, you kills know, you. It's, easy, it's easy to misspeak, but I'm sure the second time I mention it later, I'll say the what right What you thing. wanted to nope. say is you really, you really love the Southern California punk rock of the hardcore That's band right. Black Flag. Henry Rollins, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Great Ginn. switched over to Spoken Word. Yeah, that's right, family man. Family man, I want to crucify you on your front door with nails from your well-stocked garage. Yeah, so I was. Uh, we were talking about uh, our flag means death last time, and I was suggesting another pirate-based show that uh, Merlin might like, and two times I said Black Flag, <laughs> but that is the Henry Rollins band. Not the TV show. The TV yeah. show. What's the show called? What's the show called, John? Black Sails. Link will be in the show notes. Um, I, it was... A surprisingly fun kind of like goes down easy pulpy pirate show, uh, and it's what's not a comedy. The, what's the logline? I mean, is it, is it funny? Uh, it's like it's Master like Master Commander. A, like what? What's the deal? It, so, so you've got on one end, you've got uh, Our Flag Means Death, which is has a comedy angle to it, surely, right? A little bit, yeah. And on the other end, you have uh, like Master and Commander, which takes itself very seriously. Right. Oh yeah, I love that movie. This <laughs> I'm is such a dad. In, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, this is in between those two. It wants to think that it's more towards the uh, master and commander side, um, but it is kind of unabashedly just like junk food. But also, I feel like everyone in the story commits to it, and they do a good job of weaving a story over several seasons. And it has some good piratey action. I watched the whole thing. It has a satisfying conclusion. Like, it doesn't just, like, trail off or, like, get bad and get canceled. They get to tell a whole story over a couple seasons. And I highly recommend it if you like pirates. Um, do you know what it's on? Uh, I have no idea. Okay. It's long, it's long over. This is the show from, like, a what, like a decade ago. When, how okay. old is the show? Um, it ended in 2017. It ran from 2014 to 2017. Right. Uh, there's four Put seasons. Put in a watch list. Yeah, I mean, like, it, you know, it's you watch it, and you're like, this isn't that great, eh, but it's, you know, it's it, it goes down easy. It is really kind of easy watching, and it may eventually get you hooked into the story, and then around the middle seasons, you're like, where are they going with this? But then they wrap it up in the end, and it's just fun. Okay, I'll check it out. Do you want me to get you started with some Black Flag? No, I'm, I'm good there, I think. See, now, a lot of people are going to say Six Pack, because Six Pack, which is kind of a joke song, it's like a, you know, parody of jock frat culture. Um, that's well known because it was on, on the Repo Man soundtrack. It was on lots of things. I'm going to say there's two versions of Jealous again, one by Descadena and one with Henry Rollins. Those are both really good. Um, and, I mean, and, and then obviously the entire album Damaged is still very upsetting. So if wow. you want to make your playlist, I'll share that with you. I'm looking at these Wikipedia pages and making me feel old. If you had said, if you had asked me, hey, you know, when was Black Flag popular? Like when <laughs> Late was, 90s? What was- <laughs> Yeah, I was like, no, the answer is Henry Rollins was in the band from 81 to 85. That makes well, me feel Henry so Rollins old. was the new guy. He yeah, was the third singer. Was the, was the early years. Well, first you had, you had Keith Morris, who later went on to be in Circle Jerks. You had Descadena. And then, but Henry Rollins was the new guy, and he was really just like a super fan of the band and then ended up becoming the singer. Yeah, just and he used to have very years. long hair. He used to have very long hair. People don't remember that. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, Greg Ginn uh, ran SST Records, and I, I don't know if he's a litigious man, but a lot of people on SST Records had a lot of troubles with, with Greg Ginn. Greg Ginn had a lot of trouble keeping the records in stock, but uh, he also wasn't so good always about paying people. Talking here, you got your Meat Puppets, you got your Dinosaur Jr., you got your Husker Du, you got your Saccharin Trust. Uh, he was in half the bands, and most of them were terrible. You know? Dead Kennedys, they, they were on SST for a while. Do you want me to get you started with Dead Kennedys? 
Possess this day show for supersonic transport. I don't know. It's a great logo. Lawndale, California. Every skateboard in America is required to have an SST sticker and also maybe a JFA Jody Foster's Army uh, sticker. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a nice, like, uh, kid drew this on the back of his notebook in 1978. Yeah, I really admire look. that aesthetic. Oh, look at the Husker Du logo with, like, the crack through it. I really, I really like that era, that certain area of... I mean, they were from Minnesota, but like especially in Southern California, so much of the iconography is like not based on having great artistic skills, but having surprisingly good like design skills. Do you know what I mean? In the sense of like, I could make this look good even if I can't draw a straight line. Flipper. Flipper had a good logo. JFA had a very, very memorable logo. Are you just making up band names again? Eventually, Foster, it Foster's that Army. Point. Now I'm talking here about skate punk bands. Mm -hmm. You understand? I can get you started with that too. It's not my favorite. You know, but like that, that could, that could also be a way of getting you into the Steve Albini stuff a little bit more. You get into some of your big black and your songs about effing and things like that. I read the plumber thing. That's all I need. You're hard on Steve Albini. Yeah, he's fine. Did you ever read his The Problem with Music? You ever read that? No, I feel like uh, I, <laughs> reading the plumber thing was enough for me. Oh, geez. Do I have to put uh, that in You don't here? admire I... that guy? You know how much money he could have demanded from Nirvana? He doesn't. He wants to get paid to make a band be who they are. He wants his job to be. He shows up. The I think that letter's outstanding. What a crummy thing for you to say. It's of all the things fine. that are wrong with Steve Albini, that's a good letter. I'll put it in the show notes. The problem with music is still read. very important. <sighs> but you're, you're sitting around. You're sitting around listening to your Millie Vanilli and your Mister Mister. And you're like, and and you're. That's and the you're, two you came up with Millie Vanilli. Is it just because of the alliteration? And, you're, and you're William Joel. Yeah, you got me there. <laughs> this nothing, nothing rhymes with he could, Bethlehem. He, he that was his problem. Nothing rhymes with Bethlehem. He, um, oh, and the graduations hang on the wall. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you can't hang a graduation on the wall unless it's an effigy. It's called artistic license. Well, it's when called, you not, it's called license, not doing a second you draft be able to make in Long Island. Like that. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a great guy. You know, he co-credited uh, Beethoven because he, he lifted that part from uh, Pathétique. Did you know that? So he won't. So he won't be haunted by. He won't, uh, he won't be haunted by the ghost. Schroeder's, Schroeder's, uh, not Schrodinger. Who's the kid in Peanuts? That's Schroeder, right? Schroeder, the one yeah. who likes Beethoven. He has bust. I, I heard some people discussing Schroeder the other day. Maybe it was on a podcast that you were on, and someone was musing Schroeder. That's his last name, right? Oh, let's see. Is that his last name or his first name? I always assumed it was his first name. Charlie Brown is like Colin uh, Robinson, where you always call him Charlie Brown. Did you ever see the very first Peanuts comic ever, ever? Probably. I, I, I think it's one of the, it's a very famous, if it's, if it's not the first, it's one of the very first, but it's, I think it's Linus or proto Linus, like sitting there talking to somebody and he goes, there goes Charlie Brown. Mm -hmm. Good old Charlie Brown. God, yeah. oh, a, oh, I hate him. Yeah. How I hate him. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, something I'm talking about from the, uh, the doo-wop album. The, is it called tonight? This night? Tonight is, uh, Stephen Sondheim. The, because he lifted that from Pathétique. That was not written by Schrodinger. That was written by uh, Beethoven. You keep taking me off this. Is that it for follow-up? Yeah, I think that's it. Just the one you item. Just go to the just... show this straight into Severance. Uh, let me see. What else do I have? I want to I wanna uh, give a brief. If you, you want to jump, what are we at here? I, I want to talk give about brief... my synology stuff a different time because I have a philosophical component that's very important. Mm. It's not interesting, but all I want to say is if anybody listened to Roderick on the line on Monday, um, thank you. 
But I was trying to explain to John how, not explain, you know, one does not simply explain to John. I was trying to say that it strikes me that one problem with the whole, like, we don't tell Mr. Putin what's really going on in Ukraine and we don't, the generals aren't really working together because there's, it's, it strikes me, it seems like many of the best military leaders and life leaders are people who are not afraid of bad news or bad, or, or like or not even bad news, but they're, they, they're very open and hungry to hear about things that show the plan needs a tweak at the very least. And all I wanted to say was the case I'm trying to make, and, and I didn't realize I thought this until I said it yesterday, is that if you avoid anything but information that the plan is going well, you not only risk a lot of ways your project can go wrong, but you also miss a lot of opportunities. Opportunities. It's like Pet Shop Boys say, you know? There's a lot lot of opportunities is what they so said. how does this relate to the synology? Because if I hadn't realized that there are things that I'm trying to accomplish that required an upgrade. At the very least, here's a quick version, is I was running out of space for the billionth time. And every time I run out of space on a Synology, by, by which I mean you have an array of hard drives that work together and through striping and RAID arrays, they protect your information, but at the cost of disk space, unless you're Casey. I think he runs at RAID negative one, which is like you already begin with it needing to repair. But if, you, if you're doing, like I'd done SHR2, which is probably unnecessary. But I'd done SHR2 here at the office, and so I had six drives where basically two drives could fail and I'd still be fine. But, I mean, you're lopping off a lot. So, like, if you put in, just for the sake of argument, let's say you put in six one-terabyte drives, like, it's not unusual at all then for that to yield approximately three terabytes of usable space owing to striping and redundancy, right? Am I, am I saying this mostly right? Yeah, except the numbers are off. I hope you're getting more than three out of uh, six terabytes. I think you were one of the numerous people to scream when I shared the screenshot of my current setup. Because as I said, when I posted that screenshot, I am done living on the edge. Because anytime, even if everything goes well, even if your thing is running like a top and you need to replace a drive, uh, I don't think it's I've ever had repair that took less than at least a couple days when your performance is a little bit degraded, but also you just kind of can't move on to the next thing unless you know it's repaired. So, and then when one does break and you put it in, it's like real white knuckle stuff. And um, anyway, I guess the point of the Synology thing that does have, I, I don't know, I'd be interested in your POV on this because I think given your risk averseness about, well, it's not that you're risk averse. I think it's that you would prefer to think something through major, major thrice cut once, try to figure out the way to do this properly and then operationalize that rather than just try to get it happening and hope nothing breaks. Right. And what I, what I wanted to share that I think is interesting philosophically that is, should be very important in my life is in order to discover the opportunities that are out there, I cannot always just look at the thing that's going to be cheapest and fastest and easiest. And sometimes you need to pop up a level or two and look down and go like, okay, if this changes, what else does that change? You might want to even consider it a second order effect. But like the need to get out of this business of endless like drive repairs on this small, I mean, you know, let's go back. First principles. The time I most screwed up was when I bought a two-base analogy and probably like two four terabyte drives. The dumbest thing you can do. You give away so much of the value of a RAID setup when you have too few disks for any number of reasons. But I mean, then I look at that and I go like, well, yeah, I don't want to have to keep replacing it. I do want more stuff, but you know, 
There's also an opportunity here, which is if I, if these drives are all fine and I've got all these big drives at the office, if I replace those with really big drives, what does that do? What am I going to do? Throw those hard drives away? Just like I'm supposed to throw away a second Apple Watch? No, those can graduate to like being used in a different Synology and a different Synology. Rising Tide raises all boats. And at the end of this, if it doesn't blow up in my face, I'm now going to have the dream setup of like a, a big Synology, but also a Synology that I can use to back up the Synology alongside B2 and stuff like that, which sounds bananas. But if you've got a Synology, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mark, Mark Pilgrim used to say, I think so intelligently, like it's neat that like we get these, we take photos, we get all of these photos. It just, let's talk about just photos. You get just photos. I look at photos I took the week I moved into my current house in 1999, taking on my little, my first digital camera. And it, it looks like a daguerreotype that's been smeared with Vaseline. They're garbage. And each one of them is like 200K. And now today when I take raw pictures, we know what that does. But the thing is, to make this a little bit Syracusa, you don't want to have just your one copy of that on your phone. Once again, the other yesterday at the Apple store, I saw two different people have to get grief counseling about how every photo they had on their phone was gone. And no, I don't have a way to change your password for you. Like, okay, so then you go up a little bit and say, oh, well, I'm going to do backups. Well, the iCloud backup seems really expensive and blah, blah, blah. But then you need a backup for your backup. Like if you're, you need, at some point when the stuff is mostly working locally, you really need to hook that to C2 or B2 or, or something off-site. I'm talking too much. Does that make sense, though? You can't appreciate or you can't even see opportunities if all you're looking for is the thing that gets back you to, back to homeostasis fast, cheap, and easy. Yeah, I'm kind of dreading when I eventually get to where you've apparently already gotten to where you have to, you know, bring in the big guns, bring in the new Synology, deal with all... Because uh, contrary to what you said, I did not particularly carefully plan... Well, I mean, I guess I, I tried to carefully plan... But you plan. planned in a different age, John. Yeah, it was, it was 2013. Even five years ago is a different world than yeah, now. It was 2013 when I was doing this. So yeah. it was a while ago. And, it, you know, and I... I planned as well as I thought I could, but once you start putting stuff in place, it kind of pins down your plan. And I gave myself a little flexibility, but I've basically uh, used the flexibility. None of these the changes is trivial, John. None of these are things that you're just going to do over an afternoon for $5. Yeah. Everything, you're probably, everything does take forever. But I've also been lucky enough that my drives are all hanging in there, but eventually they're going to blow up. And when they blow up, they're going to blow up good because I do not have two drive redundancy. I have one drive redundancy on yeah. some stuff and no drive that. redundancy yeah. <laughs> on a couple other things. Um, that's part of how I've been. My flexibility was I, you know, I've been growing my time machine backups because as my Macs get bigger, the time machine backups of those Macs get bigger. So I sure. gave myself a little bit of leeway to do that. But now that leeway is gone. So my time machine backup thing is as big as it's ever going to get. And that's I'm pressing up against the seams of that. And then my other stuff is basically taking all the rest of the space and yes. some of that is not some of that is not particularly redundant. And there's never a day where that's going to get less difficult or require less sticks, unless you go in like I do periodically and go. You know what? I really I don't actually need 4K versions of these six movies. You know what I mean? And that can open up a terabyte empty recycle bins now. All that kind of stuff. But like that, when you're doing that, I I, I hey, this sounds fancy, but once you start doing that, you are once again missing the point of having a Synology. And, and, you know, like I said in the document, you know, if you can afford to eat out, you can afford to tip. 
If you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to eat out. Now, that sounds mean and privileged, but it's really true. That person's working for you. When it comes to your hard drive stuff, like cheaping out might be the most dangerous decision you don't realize that you have made for potentially weeks, months, or years. I just keep thinking about your hard drives that came loose in that box. And oh how... my God, did you, get, did you get what I was saying? They weren't even in... I don't, are, are they, like, are they okay? Like, like, why didn't you just immediately return them? Like, they can't possibly be okay. Well, at first, but now here's like, uh, not, I guess we're talking about the synology. One thing that was really confusing was, so like, you have to really to get, if I understand this correctly, and I probably don't, but to get the benefit... So like if you've got, here's the problem. Like if you've got, let's be more realistic. Let's say you've got five, you've got four, four terabyte drives and two eight terabyte drives. That's not actually ideal because if one of the ones that fails is an eight terabyte, you're really only as safe as the smallest capacity hard drive that you have. And I think you need to do them at kind of at least in pairs, right? If you use plain array, they have to be the same size, but there are other schemes that are more flexible. But yeah, it's not ideal to have a bunch of differently sized drives to figure out how best to arrange them so you're not wasting space and you have the redundancy you want. Yeah, I just sent you a screenshot, the updated screenshot with the SSD cache now. Um, but it's, it's I, I guess what I'm saying is like, this is, I, I almost want to say like it's not for the faint of heart. And I realize, again, I'm, I'm the chicken problem. I'm trying not to sound fancy, but like if you can barely, barely, barely afford a BMW, and you think you'll be able to economize on your new BMW by getting the cheapest one available and doing the repairs yourself, my sense is that that's probably not a viable strategy in the same way that you could easily become house poor by getting a house that you can just barely afford for now. See also 2008. Like you need to plan for this to have a life cycle to it that's bigger than solving a problem you have today. And, and whether that's Synologies or whether that's your next Mac or whatever it is, this isn't the age where I can pop open a CX or an SE30 and put in different RAM, better RAM with, you know, very little impact, right? Like you, when you buy a Mac now, there's a pretty good chance you need to get RAM that will still be, still accommodate what you want to do at least a year from now. Because what do you do? Buy a different computer? Like you have to, you have to take that into consideration when you're planning and your budget needs to fit whatever it is that has you doing something sane. If you're buying something for efficiency, enjoyment, and security, and then you end up getting something that's not very efficient, isn't very secure, and is totally not enjoyable, you just wasted so much money. Yeah. I feel like this analogy is another thing where you, if you've done it a bunch of times in the past your next run at it. It's not the type of thing you do all the time. So as many years between attempts, but I feel right. like the second and third attempt, you're like, now, now I know what I, now I know, well, I'll do it so much better this time. It's just, it's this, I know I didn't have a, a chance to, uh, you know, learn from my mistakes immediately, but here we are five, 10 years later, and now I'm going to do it right. I'm not sure. You, I'm not sure whether you've done that or not. Looking at your well, setup, at, but what are you we'll talking see. about? That's beautiful. Look at that. They're all the same size. I got the cache running. I know. I updated like, my RAM. I put in one big RAM. thing. I, I mean, I know the advantages to that, but it still wakes me out a little bit. The sizes? No, just like making making just one giant volume. Oh, what do you, what do you do? Well, uh, I mean, uh, it, like a, stor- a storage. Wait, I don't know. Storage pool, or because like you get more flexibility when you have multiple volumes in your storage pool is that I mean, right? it's like it's like the old days of linux where you had to pick the sizes of your partitions and it was so fraught and it's like why do i have to do this i'm always going to make the wrong decision and i'm going to come to regret it later why don't i just make one big pool with everything but i don't know like part of it is the the whole like 
how long it takes to do rebuilds and something when you just have this much data and this many mechanisms. I get it. So I'm potentially guilty of the exact same thing I was talking about five minutes ago, where this is actually not having one giant volume of this size is not as good as, and when we say volume, that is somewhat similar to like, I could think of that as like a it's, hard it's drive not, on my Mac. This is a storage pool. Like, I don't actually think like your, your, your recovery from drive failure will take any longer. Maybe it will, but maybe not. But the thing is, when you it at touches least split more it into, stuff. if you split it into maybe two or three pieces, especially when you've got so much space, the advantage you have is that it, when the if a drive goes bad, only one of those two or three pieces is going to be screwed up. The other two is it harder to manage in terms of like what runs on where and like with VMM, I get so confused because I have to do special stuff for network, special stuff for storage. There's all the you know home home assistant runs on VMM and I assume Docker is a similar thing where Docker probably has to have a really clear understanding of like what volume this is running on and what privileges are allowed. Does it, does it make it harder to manage if you have multiple volumes? It's not harder to manage within the single Synology. It probably is harder to manage when it comes time to migrate to a new one, but I haven't done that, so I can't say for sure. Okay, but it's not that bad to manage with, uh, when you're just within a single system because you just get it set up and and it's fine. Uh, but the obvious downside is now you're sort of choosing, you're, you're implicitly choosing bucket sizes for things. So buckets one, two, one or two, or one or two or three are going to be these sizes. You can give yourself some flexibility. Mm-hmm. Like the way you give yourself flexibility is just leave drives unallocated, right? And so you make, this is, let's say mm-hmm. you've split into two buckets, bucket one and bucket two, and you size them how you think you, your prediction is how they're going to be sized. But, oh, I messed up and actually bucket one needs to get bigger. Well, if you left some drives spare idle, you can chuck a new drive into bucket one. Is that and what it means? I mean, bigger. is there a benefit to having hot spares? That feels, I don't understand how that benefits you. Uh, I mean, it, it, I don't think so, but I think that's leaving... more for like a really like a, like enterprise deployment where you're like, if it's a holiday weekend and Sid is out of yeah, town, yeah. we just need to make sure this keeps running until we can fix it. But, but you're not in that situation. You don't, you know, need to have that kind of uptime. But yeah, but just having like drives that are not yet allocated to a storage pool is nice to keep in your back pocket because then you can be flexible. But then, you know, it's having one is like, I don't have to make those decisions. I just one giant volume. But But that means if anything goes wrong, your one volume is now degraded. Whereas if you had multiple volumes, mm-hmm. when one goes wrong, your other two volumes are not degraded at all. They're fine. Okay. That makes sense. I'm, I, you know, another thing, as long as I'm being fancy, uh, I haven't done this yet because, God, this has been very costly. But I do think it's a very good idea. Well, I don't know. You can tell me if you think it's a good idea. Uh, it's it Very much, I think this is true with anything that involves an array of hard drives, but it's like it's true just kind of in general. It's really good to have have at least one spare sitting in the box that you can pop in at any point. So if you've got, say, four eight terabyte drives, as costly and as wasteful as it seems, having a fifth, and you're probably going to say take it out of the box and test it, but but having a spare that you can put in, like you're not really redundant until you've got a redundancy for your redundancy. Yeah, but I would only do that if if you care about how long it takes you to get back up. Yeah, because hard drive still run. It's just not going to be. But I, I don't like the the idea of a hard drive aging sitting idle in my house for years. Uh, I know I sort of said leave some idle inside your Synology, but the idea is you'll use them once you mm-hmm. realize well, how big things are. But hard drive prices always go down, right? So if it's not actually inside the machine, just wait until it dies and then buy an eight terabyte one, which will hopefully cost a lot less when it dies. Yeah, you get a fresh one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or I really, I really recommend is not having any of your drives fail. So if you can do that, that's great. Okay. Okay. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what? That's a good idea. I should do that. Mm-hmm. People uh, don't think of that. You know, they don't think, you know what? They're always so people are so negative. 
instead of really understanding that what you can do is like, it's like, you know, you don't really need insurance if you never, you know. Mm -hmm. Just don't get into an accident. Don't yeah. get sick, don't have a car, any of mm -hmm. that stuff. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Sourcegraph. You can learn more about Sourcegraph right now by visiting about.sourcegraph.com. These days, every company needs to be a tech company, ain't it true? Uh, but there's so much code to deal with. It's hard to have any kind of an online presence or a digital service without copious amounts of code. This is true. And code affects everyone. It's the foundation of the technology we use every day. Well, that's everything you need to know right there. It's absolutely true. Problem is handling big code bases can be tricky, especially when you think about the volume and variety of code. So thankfully, Sourcegraph is here to solve all your company's code-related headaches. They are tackling big code. Uh, Jim, could you please put lots of echo on that when I said big code? Thanks. More than ever, companies need resources to increase developer velocity. Love that word. To give people what they need to be agile, innovative, and productive. Totally agree. With Sourcegraph, developers can find and fix security vulnerabilities, stay on top of tech debt, yuck, and onboard developers faster. You can all do all this so much more. Sourcegraph is the future of how companies are built. And it's powering the infrastructure of today's most successful high-growth businesses, including three out of the five of the top tech companies. Jiminy Christmas. Sourcegraph's current customers include PayPal, Uber, Plaid, Reddit, Atlassian, and so many more. Perhaps you've heard of some of them. Why don't you get in on this? You go to about.sourcegraph.com, you're going to learn more. Say it twice, and it's almost like praying. Sourceabout.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph. And to see what it can do for yours. I kind of messed up the last one. So one more time. Hey, Jim, put a lot of echo on this one too, please. About.sourcegraph.com. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Okay, so moving on. So we're not talking about synologies. Mm -hmm. Um. Black sales. My projects. I got to get updated on my project. Oh, yeah. Tell progress. me about your project. What's going on? Uh, nothing too exciting. I already talked about my thermostat and ATP, so they you know, sniped that <laughs> one. Um, I did install a new security camera, which was nice. Uh, something I wanted to do for a long time. I had a, well, first of all, why do I have a security, quote unquote, security camera at all? I do have cameras inside my house. I initially got those. Uh, when we first got our dog as a way to like keep track of what the dog is doing in the house. Um, and uh, now she, we don't need to watch her in the house for the most part. She's good. And she sort of calmed down, sort of settled in. Yeah. She's not like, you know, taking things off shelves and chewing them up anymore. That's more of a puppy thing, but we still got the cameras and they turn out to be pretty handy. Um, but I also, uh, I, we didn't have any outside. Right. But we had at least one or two instances of people, quote unquote, breaking into our cars on our driveway. They weren't breaking in. The doors were unlocked, but they just, you know, it's a crime of opportunity. Doors are unlocked. They go in. My iPod touch was stolen out of my car that way. A bunch of quarters for feeding parking meters. This is how long ago this happened. A bunch of quarters for feeding parking meters were stolen out of our cars. Right. Not a big deal, but it annoyed me. I'm like, well, technology can, I mean, solve this problem. No, it's not actually going to solve it. Like, honestly, if you have video of someone stealing things out of your car, what <laughs> good does that do you? To quote the big Lebowski, leads, leads. Yeah, yeah we no, got guys because we've got guys working in shifts. Yeah, nothing's going to happen, right? Nope, it's really not just, at all. It's mostly just a satisfaction. You're going to take a report and then you're going to replace it yourself. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even bother to do a police report because who cares, right? Uh, you know, nothing's we actually going to happen. We did when our car got hit in the middle of the night. Oh boy, is that a story? 
we did a yeah. police report just to have something on record. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously these, these petty thefts out of the car aren't a big deal. It's no damage to the car or anything like that. But it's like, I was always just curious, is it kids or is it adults? Is it just a bunch of neighborhood punk kids? And if it's so, maybe I have a chance of recognizing the neighborhood punk kids because I know the neighborhood punk kids, right? And I can go <laughs> to their house and tell their mother that they're stealing stuff. But anyway, <laughs> that's one thing. And the second thing is, um, you know, if uh, inevitably, eventually a very large tree branch will fall on our car. And it's cool to have video of that when that happens. Oh, Yeah. For your uh, your classic Syracuse fails, yeah, or for for just the insurance company that says like, did you did you damage the roof of your car yourself? Like, no, here's a video of the branch falling on it. Right. Anyway, for whatever reason, I always wanted to have a camera out there, and so I did get one. I had a camera, but the problem is the like the the place where I would mount it facing my driveway. Um, it's not where most people have security cameras, which is like the front of their house, so they can see people coming and dropping off packages. No, it doesn't have a view of that. Well, it kind of does, but not really that good view. I just wanted a view of the driveway because that's where the action's happening. That's where the cars are. That's where the cars are getting broken into. That's where the branches are going to fall in the car. So let's look at the driveway. Um, but there's no place there. You have to put easy. it in a tree, basically, right? Well, no, it's just it's mounted on the garage. But there's no place, a good place there for power. So I got mm. a battery-powered camera. And that that worked pretty well for many years. It was one of those battery-powered cameras. can't believe how fast they blow through batteries. I was so, so happy with the Arlo family, family of fancy cameras, but I was having to charge the batteries less, more than once a week. Oh, no, no, that's crazy. not good. These were used to, these are batteries originally lasted months. This is one of the early ring cameras. And what it would do is it would only turn on when the motion sensor detected motion. Mm-hmm. And so it was most of the time it was just off. Except for the but little, it still has a Wi-Fi radio, right? Except for the little IR, yeah, it has Wi-Fi, okay. right? But but that would only be active when the camera turns on, and it would only turn on during quote unquote events, like when the the little IR sensor detects something or whatever. Sure. So the camera would last one or two months, and that was that was fine with me, right? And it was there for years, and I you know caught some interesting things on film, but nothing too exciting. Uh, but eventually the batteries degrade because it's a rechargeable battery, and it's out there all year round, getting hot, getting cold, you know, and recharging anyway battery started to die and then i had to charge it you know every three weeks every two weeks then like you said every week and then after that you just forget to charge it and then it it, it started its second life which is as one of those deterrent cameras that right. people don't know that the battery's been dead for a month and a half they just I, know i've always that, heard that, it said that uh, this is even years before what happened on the subway in new york but i've heard it said for years that most of the cameras on i want to say muni and maybe even bart are fake not fake, but just not, not operating. Well, I don't think they're hooked up to anything. I think in some cases they are exactly what you're saying, which is they might have worked great the day they put them in, but there is N percent of cameras on public transit that are not working to whatever the original plan or spec was. Yeah, or just not feeding video into anything or not being recorded or, you know, yeah, or yeah. Been broken forever, you can't tell. So so that, it spent a long time in that mode, which is fine, but I did eventually want to have something that would take video of the outside of our house. And I also didn't want to deal with the camera. So for, you know, typical me, for a couple of years now, I'm <laughs> looking at security <laughs> camera solutions that um, that you plug in somehow. I'm like, well, how can I get power to it? Um, you don't, I like, don't you, wanna, you'd only put extra holes in your house. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I was resigned to the fact that I was going to have to put some kind of hole there, but I'm like, I don't want to run electrical wire. Like some of the ones, some of them are like you. Run, running wires through the walls of your house is really problematic. And then you discover the razor blades, you know? Yeah. Um, and some of them are kind of USB powered or they're like, like an AC adapter that you can plug in. And I did have an AC outlet in inside the garage. And I'm like, well, I can, if I can get from inside the garage to outside the garage, there was already a wire going there. Cause I already had a wire going to like our, you know, 
what, what, what normal people would have is a motion light, but I have a non-motion light because I hate motion lights. Um, mm. Just for lighting up like the, where the garbage cans are and stuff. Mm-hmm. Scare the raccoons away or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's just a regular light, you know, and there's actual, that was, you know, predates me. There's electrical wire going over there. So I figured, well, if that electrical wire makes it there, I can probably route my own wire. You can get a racetrack and just run it. Yeah. And, and so I undertook that project. Well, what I ended up getting was by, by the time I waited to buy this camera, I couldn't buy a camera that worked with the same app as my existing cameras because so much time had passed. So I had to buy from the same some, company. Are you using something like, like surveillance station or like, no, like I have, Nest, I have nest cameras inside and they used to come, used right. to use the nest app for that. But nest was bought by Google. Are you, are you using like, like the, the, like the, the, Commodity Xiaomi, I mean, because like, oh, never mind, it's a dumb question. But like, I went through this with Home Assistant, where there's so much stuff you can do with cheap cameras that you can't do with fancy, costly cameras. If you want facial recognition in HomeKit, like, get ready to use, in the case of um, Logitech in particular, just HomeKit. You literally can't open it in anything else. But but this is, you need something. What is it? What's the app you'd like? If you can say, what's the app you'd like to be able to see it in? I didn't care one way or the other, but I did want all the cameras to be in one app. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't yeah. want to go to cameras one and two in one app and camera three in the other app. Um, and so by the time I actually got around to buying this now, um, my understanding is if you buy any Nest camera, you have to use it with the Google Home app, which I don't mind. The Google Home app is fine. Um, yeah. So anyway, I've, I've now switched from the Google Home app uh, from the Nest app to the Google Home. app. I just hate the usurious. Also, all these services eventually include something where like you, you not all of them, but many of them know that it's part of an ecosystem you know, sell. And so they have no problem at all saying the only way you can watch this, anything useful is like through a subscription. And that, you know, and after what happened oh, yeah. with Wise, I was already, like that's so gross. I was already paying for the subscription, which I'm fine with. Okay. Uh, and I feel like I just that's canceled the reason, mine last month. Yeah. That's the reason I got that because I'm whatever subscription I've got, it's, I don't know if it's unlimited devices, but you can add another device without paying anymore. Okay. So I'm like, I, you know, I can't afford not to get this camera now. No. I'm already paying, <laughs> already paying for the service. Whereas, <laughs> undercoating, they put them up the factory. Yeah. So, so anyway, I got the service and using the Google Home app. Um, and the camera I bought is battery powered, which I kind of like because if power goes out, it will still work. Right. But not really because then if Wi Fi is out, it can't upload the video. But anyway, whatever. It's battery powered, but also it plugs in. And so I did have to run, uh, try to find a place to run a wire that it plugs into through something like a, an AC outlet. So mm-hmm. that was, as I suspected, way harder than I thought it would be because trying to run cables inside the wall. I was trying to like get it in through one hole and then out through the existing hole that feeds mm. the the outdoor light. And that hole is really small and hard to find. And I couldn't do it. So I just kept making the hole bigger and bigger until I found it. So I brute forced my way through it. Oh, and by the way, the little... The little plug thing. It looks like a MagSafe connector, basically. It's like a little magnetic thing with contacts, right? Yeah, the Arlo has that, too. And it's such an odd shape. I was trying to estimate how oh. big... Oh, because you have a dongus on each end that yeah. exceeds the width of the cable by far. Yeah, well, so obviously the the the, the power brick, you know, the plug, the AC wall work, that doesn't I mean, come normally off. Normally, you can, like, if you're thinking about the way you thread even an Apple watch mm-hmm. through its like any, any stand there's usually there's a, there's an accommodation for like, Oh, turn your USB C or USB a sideways and put it through here. Oh, that's such a pain. And you don't want to make holes. No, no more big yeah, holes. So I, I drilled a hole for what I thought it w- would fit. And I was off by like, I mean, it, it, you could get it into the hole, but as you started going up into the hole, it would like, it would like wedge itself. And so I had to go up to the next size drill bit, and I'm not sure if you've ever tried to do this, but freehand uh, taking a drill bit and making an existing hole larger with a larger drill bit, 
Not as easy as it looks. No, you need one of those little pressy things. I've been doing a lot of drilling lately, and it's uh, one thing is like I'm so consistently bad at drilling that I know everything will be an eighth of an inch to the left because I guess I'm not very strong. <laughs> but because it's always an eighth of an inch to the left, it works perfectly. Yeah. No, and I know exactly what you're talking about. It's uh, there's a lot of room for making ugly, unsightly, costly holes if you're not if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, so that's what I did. I made a big unsightly, costly hole. Good thing is I put it in a <laughs> spot where it is hidden by a downspout. Hey, strategically placed downspout hides my sins. Um, and so it's fine. Thank and you, Jesus. And it's on the underside of an eave, so it's pretty weatherproof. Like, it's not like rain is going to somehow get up in there because it would have to, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I did get that working, and it's way better than the other camera. Um, the only thing I will say added to, to this this particular project is, and I will complain more about this on ADP because it's a perfect ADP complaint, but you're familiar, you just mentioned it, like facial recognition stuff mm-hmm. that these cameras do. Yeah. The Nest brands of cameras have always had a feature where... Uh, you can familiar faces yeah you can register the faces and say these are familiar faces you can give them names it's me it's my wife these are my kids you know and so you can identify them mm-hmm. and one of the things it does for that is like okay well instead of getting a notification that says a person was seen in your kitchen right it will say you know your wife was seen in your you kitchen you can have it pop up on if, oh, if it's in the case of the logitech one it'll pop you can have it pop up on your tv and like just say like hey you know your landlord's here or whatever Exactly, right? So fine. That's all well and good, right? I understand how that's a use case for familiar faces. But the other use case, the other obvious use case for me for with familiar faces is <laughs> the neighborhood punks. No. To be able to distinguish a familiar face oh, yes. from an unfamiliar face. Yeah, yeah. And why would you want to do that? Well Yeah. So I mean, shouldn't there be some kind of a basic little bit of scripting that lets you say, you know, it, it does not equal familiar face? Exactly, right? For example, when my wife goes to put the dog poop in the garbage outside, all right, fine. If someone, an unfamiliar face, wanders into my yard and goes to where the garbage cans are, that is a much more notable event because random other people shouldn't be wandering into my under my property in that way, right? Yep. And so what I would like, and I don't think I'm asking for too much, is, hey, Google Home app, send me a notification if this camera sees a person who is not a familiar face. <laughs> yeah. And it is literally impossible due to, based on the Googling that I have done. I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then I Googled and you find people asking about this for years. They're, you know, on the, on the Google help forum saying, hey, what I want to do is I want to get notifications, but only when it sees an unfamiliar face. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't support that. File a feature request. And it's like, you don't support that? You support, you do all this work to do facial recognition. It's also, this is often, you know, I don't care who it is, whether it's secure home kit video or, or whatever, like, I'm going to say something very general here that's going to not sound kind of unkind, but I have the scars to show for spending a lot of time with this stuff. Uh, in several, I mean, I've done Wise, I've done Arlo, I've done um, uh, Canary. Anchor, but, huh? Canary. Canary. Yeah, I got, got rid of those a long time ago. But no, I've gotten pretty much, let's just say I've experimented with a lot of these. And of course, one of the first things I do is to see what's like the neat special functionality that this can do and how could I use it? That's the important part. So here's the unkind thing that I'm going to say. In the case of almost every one of the products that you're talking about here or or services, it's almost like a product manager said, get this to the point where we can demo it at JRandom Conference and it says mom's home. Like it got up to about that point and then they stopped because all the reasons why you would want this for a camera. And I mean, I, I don't want those kind of like, oh, like I saw a commercial for ADT 
or Xfinity and I bought whatever their thing is and I assume I'm safe now, I can tell if this is when this is working and when it's not working. And right off the dome, it's kind of cool that you get stuff like, give me a notification if it's a pet, a vehicle, a person, or a delivery, but it doesn't work very well. And when it comes to the face stuff, like, and, you know, feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Sorry, Dr. Doctor and Mr. Logitech. But, like, I I did the thing where it says on this home kit, on, on your home, on this particular, your primary home here, associate this with your... <laughs> with your photos collection and that's accessible by these people. And I think it's only the, the Logitech has only ever recognized four faces ever. It doesn't continue wanting to add to that corpus in fairness. The Nest cam was much better at that. It was much better, even though the, the camera was crap and it thought that a soccer ball was a person for years. And eventually I just said, no, 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 that's not a soccer ball. But like all the things you're describing here, like what would you actually want out of this apart from the G whiz of it has facial recognition? That is, you're going to want some, and even in a pre-COVID pre-mask time, because that's certainly screwed up almost everything with facial recognition. Uh, I'm leaving aside here the whole issue of whether we should even have facial recognition in our homes or, you know, file a bug. But I want that. And I do want it to say it recognized like we've had, I don't like want to go into it, but want to, okay, why do you want a camera? You want a camera because you want to know if there's shenanigans, okay? Now, knowing about shenanigans is good, but being able to identify shenanigans that happen more than once is, I think it could be argued, is the ultimate use case of this. So a few years ago, there was a creepy person who was just kind of appearing fairly often and kind of freaking me out. That's the perfect example of that. Which is like even you know you don't have to even get into like gate analysis or the kind of stuff that any of these systems see as table stakes at this point. But even just identifying here's the face of a person I don't know what it is this oval blob we're pretty sure this is the same person who was here last week. Now that sounds crazy, but if it sounds crazy, then you're not the kind of person who needs facial recognition cameras. The whole reason you would want this is to then do something with it as a result. And I would argue uh, along with my friend John Syracuse that one of the most obvious things you would want is there's an unfamiliar face. So maybe that unfamiliar face, maybe it's just, I didn't recognize this person who you've identified, but like the ability to say, oh, by the way, I just discovered there's a person whose face I've recognized three times in the last year. Do you want to do anything about that? Yeah, I would. Oh yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's the letter carrier or maybe that's a housekeeper or maybe that's the plumber or whatever it is. But I can imagine a really insane, paranoid future where I'd like to know if my plumber's been there five times when I wasn't home. Sounds nuts, but that's the whole point of why you would want this. And, and I guess for property stuff, it becomes important too, which is like, did the, has the car moved? Did a door open? That kind of stuff. Like, is it really, is it that difficult to provide something that you could program against out of that corpus of information? You're, I spent hundreds of dollars for you to collect on my behalf. Yeah, and what you're describing is even more sophisticated than what I'm talking about because I don't need it to do pattern recognition. I don't need it to tell to detect uh, anomalous activity over long periods of time. You need it to know is this a, is this an animal versus a vehicle? You still need that. And and yeah, and to be clear, the reason I want this is because I've to, as far as I'm concerned, the main functionality of having stuff like this is to notify you if something is wrong. I th the one the easy cases, and I think this is the thing that all those things do is. If smoke alarms are going off in my house, yeah, uh, they will, in theory, send a notification to my phone, right? Right. There's uh, the the Amazon Tube Lady family. I think has things like, did I hear broken glass? Did I hear crying? Did I hear, hear a dog barking? 
all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, so the Nest things have that as well, and that kind of makes sense. Um, but I just want to say that's like, that's like, just tick a box that says, this seems weird. Like, let me know if something seems weird. Like, right. and you're so, but on here, all day long. If I've got a wired camera pointing out at my front door, you're watching an area all day long. Is there nothing you have to share with me beyond this is somebody who lives here? But here's the most frustrating part with the, you know, notifications. I want to be notified, right? Here's the most frustrating part. Mm-hmm. It, the the uh, the consequence of this feature that they do not have is if you want to be notified when you know with like of, of people right mm-hmm. your only choice is an on off button off mm-hmm. means it will it's literally never device. send you, you a notification turn you can turn it off altogether so I never get another HomeKit thing but you could also change it per device you could have it be just on your Apple TV right. which I know sure, you don't sure. like sure right but but the whole point is do you want to be notified about people yes no. If you say no, you will never be notified about, for, about a person. If you say yes, you'll be notified about every, every person. person. I see. Every yeah. person, including the members of your family who are constantly in front of the cameras because they live here. That shouldn't be a radio button. That should be a couple, my, three click boxes. My phone would constantly be buzzing. Oh, I saw your son. I saw your daughter. I saw your <laughs> wife. I saw your wife. I saw your son. I saw your <laughs> I saw your wife. <laughs> and it's like, just send me a notification when you see somebody who's not one of these people. And because I can't do that, because that feature doesn't exist, I have to turn off people notifications. So now I can review at my leisure if I remember. I, I can look back at past events and say, oh, look, 17 people well, were no, at my house yesterday. And now you've got homework. You've got homework for all your services. Right. In addition to making sure that all the batteries are still charged, in addition to make sure that every Eve device associated with every... Eve will not sync your settings for something like an Eve room and Eve energy and Eve weather. It, you have to manually update on per each device to pull down the corpus of results. So if I want to know the historical weather at my office outside, I have to make sure that all of my devices utilizing that are pulling it down on the reg, or I could just discover no data for 21 days, which is, I mean, that seems like a big deal for barometric pressure. But what John's describing here, like you need, you want every little bit of a, every little morsel of that. That's a lot to, you're basically just hiring yourself a new rabbit hutch. Yeah. And like, what's the point of having a camera that's on all the time? If the only time I'm ever going to be able to look at is way after the fact, it sees a person, it knows it's an unfamiliar face, but it doesn't have the capability to notify me about it unless it also notifies me about the familiar faces it sees all day long. It is just like, mind-boggling that how many years and how many versions and how many people are requesting this they haven't thought to add this feature at first i thought i, I can't this can't be right looking at this application i must be misunderstanding the text and if you this had that but if you works. had that uh, like i mean i mean maybe i don't know uh, this very law on this stuff varies widely across the u.s in different regions but i could see somebody like for example the place my kid gets boba tea I forget the kind of camera they've got, but I noticed immediately that they bought one of those sets of pretty popular Costco style. Like you get tons of these cameras and put them everywhere. Well, I mean, here's an example. My kid, oh, there's this kid my ha- kid hates at school who got banned. <laughs> these two kids who got banned from a local store because they wouldn't put a mask on and they were being buttholes. And like, I could see somebody wanting an ability to say, or maybe it's somebody who robbed the place or kited a check or whatever it is. I could see wanting an ability to know when something hinky happened, if somebody comes up to my door between two and 5 a.m. and they are seen, if anybody is at my front door more than once between two and 5 a.m., you're damn right I want to know about it. Even if they have a balaclava on, wait, balaclava, the one that's a ski mask, I, I still want to know if they're there. And what you're describing here, though, is like if even if you had that like checkbox functionality, 
that there's no, you're going to be creating the most inefficient code, hard coded in the world to say, if this does not equal any of these 45 people in this array, let me know when really you're just saying, I think you're saying, show me when something weird happens, but you could also very much benefit from show me when grandma Joe shows up. I'm mostly just saying, make it so that I can turn on notifications for your thing. Cause I can't turn it on now. Cause I'll just be bombarded with it's notifications. So noisy. So it's I, so noisy. I, I can't, I can't turn on notifications. It would be, it's like your first day with a new Mac. Like when you're just clicking. Okay. on like everything. Yeah. But imagine it's like every, all day, every day, you're constantly, your phone would buzz. And like for it to be useful, you have to look at the phone to see what is it buzzing about. Yeah. How I many times a day no do way. I want to see that my, that one of my cameras has seen someone in my family. It's going to happen all day long. So Kind of disappointed in that. So now, I mean, again, it doesn't really matter because like, what do I care? What am I going to do about it? Oh, so you get notified in real time that someone's breaking. What are you going to do about it? I mean, maybe I call the police. I don't know. But like, it's not going to happen. It's not a big deal. I don't really care. It just bothers me from like at a, at a software level that the most obvious feature you could have. It's like the second you add familiar face detection, it's like, and it would be great if it could notify you if it sees someone's face that's not familiar and they don't do it. They literally don't do it mm-hmm. for years. They don't do this feature. Just I hope I hope my frustration of this will cause the universe to uh, align to say, oh, you dummy, that feature has been there forever. And all those people asking about it in the Internet are wrong. You just simply right. do X, Y and Z. But I'm pretty sure that's not the case. I'm pretty sure they just don't have this. I mean, I, I've said for a long while now, as somebody who's a, a veteran of, of the psychic smart home wars, that like until we until the sense of what is actual presence by people who live in the place or don't live in the place, until that gets a lot, a lot, a lot better, this will remain a rich man's toy. By which I just mean, in order to benefit from so much of the stuff that this stuff uses, I need to have a a very, very real, up-to-the-second sense of whether the house is occupied or not occupied, which sounds simple, but it's not. And I'm going somewhere with this. But like, for example, like, so in order to use any of these things, I got to make sure everybody has this on their device and that all of the devices that they have are out of the house in order for something as crappy as basic geofencing to work. But geofencing was an amazing idea, an amazing hack, really, from a few years ago. But the downsides of geofencing are, are manifest. There's just so much. But, but even just needing everybody in my – I can't get my family to update their, their OS. How am I going to get them to install an app and make sure it's turned on and the Wi-Fi and all of that kind of stuff? So then you get into like presence detection of like, well, is it, is it a cat? Is it a dog? Is it a person? I saw movement here. And you end up, if you want actual presence, the best example that I can think of is stuff regarding, say, security. So you could think about stuff involving smart locks. You could think of stuff. The best example I can think of is if you have a camera anywhere that you regard as sensitive or candidly that your neighbors regard as being a sensitive area, there's times where you just don't want that to be operable by anything. And then there's other times where it's critically important to you that that be operable by lots of things. An example of that might be like the time that my family and I were out of town and the battery on the smoke alarm went off. The very first time I checked on the cat after we left the house, I then treated myself to two days of agony watching our poor cat have to be pelted with fire alarm noises because there's nothing that we could do about it, which, boy, I'm real glad I invested in that one. I guess what I'm saying is like the presence one is a really big one though, because there are a lot of rules that you would put in place about what's allowed and not allowed while you're there. And if you were being honest, you would say, oh God, yes. It's crazy that I'm trying to do what I'm doing right now with basic software and geofencing. That's completely bananas. But to really get the benefit out of this stuff, it has to be the kind of information. And so what do you do? So in HomeKit, 
a pretty good trick that they do not, not a trick, a function that they do not make super obvious is if you go in and do stuff with automations in HomeKit, and of course this extends to stuff like shortcuts, but the, the biggest one is like, um, let's say I want to know when something happens, but an easy one is like, I want to know if my mail got delivered. So I've got motion detectors uh, that cover that, but there are other things that could set off that motion detector. What I eventually discovered is our mail tends to arrive between X and Y. And so an experiment that actually worked fairly well was only, only uh, the, the automation only happens between X and Y p.m., right? And then I only get notifications on this particular device from that thing. That is a lot to ask of people, but that is pretty powerful. But if you're not ready for that to be the next phase of what, if someone loves the idea of what you're making and they're not able to make it work, I think you can look at me and I imagine they can look at you. Well, the opportunities for improvement are not, are not going to be just these giant shovelfuls of, of new features that do what everybody else does. Here's the bottom line. This is what's driving me crazy about this. I, it gives me no joy to say this. One reason we got rid of our Ring doorbell, we got rid of our Ring everything at the house is it's become very clear that this is the system of choice for both the next door, um, you know, busybodies and cops. Next door busybodies and cops love ring video. And I mean, I, it's my understanding that they're, we're moved into now where like cops are actually asking people, can you give us the video from this time? I've heard things about how you can even like, I guess, subpoena that if it exists, all that kinds of stuff. It's very surprising to me. And I'm, I'm not saying I like that. What I'm saying is I do not like that. And that's why I got rid of them. But if we take it as read that that is a thing. And one reason people like this stuff is because they can be a more empowered busybody. And then the cops get to have some part of their job made up, some part of their job easier, maybe the framing part of their job made easier. I'm kind of surprised there isn't more functionality for stuff like what you're talking about here. If you get if you get a ping that there was glass crashing and that was picked up by because almost like the way like in San Francisco, I forget what it's called, but we've got the system in San Francisco that uh, basically can identify firearms shots and can triangulate them. Like sort of, you know, echolocate them from different beacons. You know what I'm saying? About shot spotter, the thing where they shot make spotter, up gunshots yeah. when the police yeah, ask them yeah, yeah. to. But like, but like, uh, I'm in blue sky. Couldn't you imagine somebody being able to say, "Well, something crazy happened. We're not sure when it happened, but oh look, there's an anonymized." And I'm not saying this is good. I'm saying like this is the kind of thing cops cream their jeans for. Oh, we just got a ping from anonymous sources that we can triangulate that from three different sources of a video camera that something involving what appears to be a crash happened in this area at roughly this particular time. I can think of one family in San Francisco that would love to know exactly when somebody hit their car in the middle of the night and then had to spend a month trying to get it paid for by the insurance company. I'd love to know when somebody hit our car. I don't have any way. I ask our neighbors, did anybody hear anything? Anybody see anything? I'm just surprised just given how creepy our culture has become about this stuff. I'm kind of surprised that there's not more functionality at least exposed to the user about how, how you could make this stuff more actionable. You had all these cameras, but you didn't have any face in the front of your house, huh? Oh my God, this insurance thing, it's now been over a month and our car yeah, is still yeah. held together with climbing rope. You're giving me uh, bad vibes on that. I'm, how far am I into my insurance thing? Let me see, let me look at the calendar. I am now one, two, uh, 
three weeks into our insurance saga and the car just dropped off at the body shop today and i figure it will be there for at least two weeks maybe more so check we, back we in. reported it got the police report and phoned it into our dumb insurance place on day zero um and now we've paid a one thousand dollar copay this is somebody hit our car they, they in call the it middle. a deductible yes our copay co-deductible we paid that a thousand dollars and it took until yesterday april 18th uh almost six weeks later for the other five thousand dollars to repair this to make it from the insurance company to their approved body shop Mm -hmm. almost six weeks of driving around with our car held together with literal rope yeah i'm hoping that's not gonna take that long my wife rents a zip car almost every day because to, to pick up my, to drop off my kid at school. Yeah, we, we've got a, a rental car coming in to, to fill in the gap because we need, we need that, that second car to do driving around. But this is a kid's a school vacation week. Uh-huh. So we figured, oh, school vacation week, we won't need two cars. So we're not going to have two cars for this week, but we're going to get the rental before school resumes so we can, you know, do all the functions of parenting and all yeah. the other stuff. I get it. Uh, and our insurance does not cover the rental car, so I'll just be paying for a rental car until my car is fixed. Oh, that's fun. Take your time, guys. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com diffs. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience and sell practically anything, your, your products, your services, even the content that you have created. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can sell your products on an online store. I, this, this is amazing to me. And Listen, they didn't tell me to say this, but I think it's crazy that they can help you with that. That used to be like a whole thing. You know, in some ways, Squarespace is a company that takes things that used to be a whole thing and making it into something that you can actually use. And I say Hakuna Matata. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. Do you understand? Okay. You can stand out in any inbox with the Squarespace uh, email campaigns. Why not encourage your visitors to sign up uh, as email subscribers? Start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. This way, please, to your journey. You start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients, site colors, logo. Plus, you get built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send. I did not know that was a noun. Uh, and, 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 you know, you, you can get, uh, you, you, they got SEO tools. You got to be found. It's one thing to be on the internet. And it's all other thing to have people find you. They have a suite, okay? A suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Um, uh, you know, let's talk about me for a minute. I love Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for so dang long. And, and if I'm being honest, they've sponsored a, a lot of stuff that I've done. But the truth is, Squarespace is really good. And it is the the company, the site, the service. How do you begin the platform that I suggest to anybody who would like to get there? But onto the internet it is the best way. You know what I love about Squarespace also? I love using it. It's where we post Roderick on the line. I also love the fact that it keeps me, daddy, out of the webmaster business. I'm retired from that racket. Squarespace took it over. Making a website, let's be honest, it used to be a whole thing, you know, and now Squarespace does that for you. So so do me a favor. Will you do me a favor, please, as your friend, as your pal, as your para friend? Would you go to squarespace.com slash DIFFS? It's going to get you a free trial. No credit card is required. 
And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, and that's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. One more time, squarespace.com slash DIFFS. And when you just decide to sign up, and you should, use that offer code DIFFS, because that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. Nothing wrong with that. You know, it also supports John. And, and the poor guy, I mean, he says he quit his job, but I have no way of knowing that. I mean... John's got a lot of problems and he could really use the help. Squarespace.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Um, I want to talk about severance, but uh, the only thing I'll leave is a cliffhanger is I'm pretty sure I'm going to buy an e-bike. Yeah, I saw, I saw the research on that happening. I've spent the last uh, few days, I finally started renting different e-bikes that are available off the racks and uh, it's, it's glorious. You've graduated from a scoot scoot. This is, this is again, this is our concern, dude. This is part of my philosophical understand, understanding. I think the way I explain it to Alex is if you have a medium sized backpack, it doesn't make sense to buy a second medium sized backpack. The redundancy of backpacks will not make your life better. You need to have, I, I don't need a nicer segue. I need something that is a different mode of transportation that's not a car. It takes me longer distances. And it was crazy to keep thinking, oh, I'll, I'll try this stand-up scooter that is hell to rod and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're eventually just going to shatter all your teeth on the pavement with those scooters. Yeah. Well, luckily cars, you know, we're good. Nobody dies in those. Mm-hmm. Time for severance. I have a severance preface for you to handle. It is a chicken preference, uh, preface, I guess. Yeah. Ch- chicken fine. problem preface. Yeah. <laughs> But I know this is going to be difficult for you, but this, no, is, sure. this, is all, this is entirely a chicken problem one for you, okay? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Net worth, feet, what, what is it going to be? Yeah, I'll, and I'll, by the way, the spoilers haven't come yet. We'll tell you when. Don't worry, listen for the horn. This is, this is a bunch of non-spoiler stuff before that, all right? Mm-hmm. So, I like the show Severance. I enjoyed it. I was watching it before it was cool, okay? Wow. That's, that's I was, amazing. I was watching and enjoying it, and after it became cool, I still watched and enjoyed it. I like the show. I recommend the show. Mm-hmm. but I have a particular complaint about it. That complaint does not mean the I didn't like the show Severance. complaint. So, okay. Merlin Mann, do yeah. not, in the future, say, well, John didn't even like Severance, because I like it. Two and a half stars. No, because I know whenever I have any criticism of something, all you can remember is the criticism part, and you don't remember me saying, I really like the show. I do. That's the times I was carrying you. You can have... You can have a specific criticism or multiple criticisms about a show, but still what is say the overall, service of John, where are you really going with this? It. What is this? How, how, how is talking about this wonderful show that everyone should watch becoming a criticism, a pre-criticism of me? I am just trying to prepare the way for the future. When you say, well, John didn't even like severance. All right. Well, no, well, it's just that John, John has a condition. I, I first learned about, uh, I, I, I remember hearing that, um, I'm so glad he made this decision, but Woody Allen was initially going to call Annie Hall, the film Annie Hall, one of his mm-hmm. great movies, uh, a different movie. Do you remember what the original title for Annie Hall was? Do not. Anhedonia. <laughs> and Anhedonia is a, I don't know if it's in the DSM, but it is the condition of being able, unable uh, to enjoy life, to have fun. Uh, it's basically see, John. It's, about. If I I'm, pathologi- I'm pathologizing you. No, see now, but then the blame always comes with it. And that's a fun part with you. You know, I, no. I, I'm there. I'm there trying to trying to pick the breathe right strip out of your hair, and you're the one saying, "Don't mess up my hairdo." You know well, what I'm saying? So we should we should practice. We should say, "What does John think of Severance?" And Merlin's going to say, "He you, loves you're it." Very, he thought you're it was very a great comfortable show. directing all of these in, in a way that really does 
position me as your servant. And I, I guess I admire that. Yeah. And although John, will, what does he I, want me to do now? I will say that part of, part of this is not just about you. Part of it is about the phenomenon that you are familiar with. We already talked about this and have joked about this before of like, oh, it's like the wire. Suddenly everyone is recommending severance and it becomes yeah, yeah, like yeah. over-recommended. Well, right? no, I'll, I'll, I'm game. I like, like all the programs I do. I'm, I'm happy to uh, subvert my personality, uh, eat my pride and do anything that's necessary to keep the work uh, happening. Well, what, what can I do to help, John? Yeah, what you can do to help is really rehearse in your head that John likes severance. But um, I will say that like, it is it is more difficult. I'm gonna start doing this for you, I think. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start coming up with these. You usually just call opening remarks, and that's where you would say something about your history with something. Uh, opening opening and now, statement. And yes. now it's really more like you're you're more like you're more like the white guy who walks into the school board meeting and first needs to let everybody know they're not allowed to talk about how he's white. I, I know don't you don't like, like that, that analogy. Oh my gosh, I'm so surprised, John. Mm-hmm. What do you need me to do, John? How can I help? Yeah. So the the, the oh, other sorry, angle, I'm practicing. Ha! The thing is, John told me he likes severance. That's true. I do. Um, the uh, but the other part of this, like I said, is when when a show becomes highly recommended and everyone's saying, "Oh, you got to watch it. Oh, you got to watch it." It also becomes not difficult to talk about criticisms, but it feels like you should keep it to yourself, not because mm-hmm. you're going to get yelled at about it, but just because you don't want to spoil other people's fun. The last thing I would want to do right now is give you any kind of comfort. Um, because you really are, you really are insufferable. But I remember even coming up to episode seven um, of my rewatch, and uh, we'll get to this in a sec, but just suffice to say, I watched it and then rewatched it very quickly. And by the time we're up to episode seven, I found myself thinking, oh man, I really hope I haven't o- oversold this uh, to Madeline. Like I, it was obvious she was really enjoying it too, but I did find myself, I don't think this is a spoiler because stuff tends to happen toward the end of a season of TV, but stuff happens toward the end of the show that is of a differing velocity and it's just a lot, a lot happens. And I, I thought, Oh my gosh, I really hope I haven't oversold this. And if I'm being honest, I, f- I feel that way a little bit with everybody, which is why in the pre-flight tonight, I said, do I, do we really have anything to say about severance? Which was, you know, I, it's my incomparable problem title, which is like, I'm like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm really like Chris Farley. where like, I either have very well thought out reasons why I didn't like something that are very specific, or I'm just generally like that was cool, and I say that for an hour. But I'm practicing. You you like severance? Yeah, I do, and but like when when there's something, and it's not just like oh, it's like some little nitpick. There's like a, there's like a fundamental thing that has always been bothering me about severance. Not so much that it makes me not like the show, but it's just been there, and it was much easier for me to sit with that before everyone else came in and loved severance. And now I don't feel like I can talk about the thing I don't like oh, at all. No, I actually, I'm actually really intrigued to know. Because um, I don't want to, I don't want to yuck on other people's yums, you know? No, no, like, no. I, I totally understand. I hope that won't have, I mean, you should do you. There's, God, what were we watching? Sometimes I have to trick my kid into watching things and I don't feel good about it. But how many times can I say, you should really watch season two of Fargo? And my kid's like, <sighs> which which season was that? Um, it, uh, the Gerhardt's, and um people on the kirsten, farm kirsten dunst kirsten dunst and, oh, and, and, the, and her husband yeah yeah that's where they met yep yeah, okay. but just the, the the cast ted danson i mean just it's i love i love that season of tv and of course the thing that happens you know with the lights anyway and i have to trick so the kid came in the other day and i was rewatching. i was on episode two and uh kid ended up being kind of interested and we you know started kind of watching it but we're just watching it, got through the opening, all these events are true, da 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 da. And then and I'm like, and it's the scene when um uh Dim, everybody loves Raymond, Brad Garrett and the guys in the trench coats and the cool black guy are pulling up at the Gerhardt place. And I'm like, 
I was like, I, I know this sounds nuts to say, but to my kid, I said, it, it really is so strange how much, <laughs> I wonder at what point TV became so much better than most movies. And like, like this is such an achievement. The way it opens on the set of the Ronald Reagan movie, the black and white Ronald Reagan movie with the Native American guy talking to the, oh my God, it's just, you know, I guess my point being, don't worry, if this ends up not being your jam, you know what, I'm going to put you all at ease with the basic Merlin Man statement, which is this. And you know what I'm going to say, John, if you hate episode one, bounce. If you're intrigued after the surprisingly short, at these episodes feel very short to me, I haven't paid much attention to how long they are, but if you watch S1, E1 of Severance, and it's, you'll know pretty quickly if it's not your jam. But if you find the, the hairs tickling on your neck by the end, it might be worth trying number two. Don't worry, I, I'll, be, I'll be as kind as I can be to you, kinder than you deserve, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about you being mean to me now. It's later. You've really, really taken all the air out of this, haven't it's you? later, yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, there was some uh, some other spoiler-free stuff I thought we should get to before we fire off the horn, because obviously to criticize it, I have to do all the spoiler stuff, right? I always think, I do often feel, and I, this is not interesting, but it sounds like you're really worried about whether this is something you want to recommend to a lot of people. No, no that's not what I'm worried about at all. Like, I, okay, I, well, I, I want to say it anyway, which is that I, you know me, I think it's valuable to say like who this might be for. And we could even do that just by analogy, by saying like, I'm going to say if you, if you, if you're, okay, here's the biggest one. The biggest one of all, if you love the idea of Lost, but we're frustrated by the end, if you find you are invigorated by the post-Lost TV shows that have really thought things out, I think this is something you might enjoy, including stuff like The Leftovers, um, including, I don't know, just, just a lot of the post-Lost TV shows where people are like, you know, I don't think people talk often enough about how screwed Damon Lindelof was by ABC, that it was not really his quote-unquote fault that Lost went the way it did. It's very depressing. But I would say that's a big one for me. If you enjoyed Lost, like if you remember the season opener with a Mamas and the Papas song and discovering there's an area of the island we hadn't known about, if you remember that thrill of make your own kind of music and Desmond, like you're going to like this show. Um, there's a good chance you'll like this show. Uh, and then my part 1B is, forgive me, just as I ask occasionally forgiveness from my family, you really got to watch this show. Like, no, 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 in the sense of, put your phone down. Like, you really need to pay attention. There's so much stuff in production design, the, what the clocks say. Why did they do that really weird little dolly zoom in the elevator? Like, all of that stuff is important. Stuff that happens in the first episode, after spoilers, I will tell you two mind-blowing things that are in the first episode you probably didn't remember. You really need to pay attention to this show if you're going to do it. And if you're not, Hakuna Matata, there's so much good TV out there. You could try season two of Fargo. I think the show is easy to like, much easier than the ones you listed. And I think you're right. If you watch the first episode, uh, you'll know whether you like it or not. It's pretty, you know, it doesn't, it's a, it, the, the tone does not change much. From Why there. is the office so big? Why is there only four people in there? You know, right, now I'm getting... going to tell you what I tell all my kids, which is you're watching the same TV show I am. There's nothing you have been denied. If you don't know something, there's two solutions to that. Either you're not supposed to know yet or you weren't paying attention. And it really could be both. All right. It's time. It's time to fire off the horn, I think. Already? Yeah. Hey, thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, keep marching on the one. Uh, Jim, uh, please fire off the uh, spoiler horn. All 
All right, from this point on, it'll be spoilers for the show Severance. If you haven't watched it, you should stop. We're not going to talk about anything else in this episode except for Severance. Our spoilers are balls deep. When we spoil, we spoil hard. If you've started the second episode, like if you're just jamming on PD, like just so you know, we're going to actually spoil the show and I am going to issue my entire load about the last two episodes of this program in a way that is going to be unseemly. And we'll make John... And most of you, if I'm being honest, very uncomfortable. All right. But before you do that, here's my complaint. All right. And, and this and this is... Was Can we the, fire off the complaint horn, please, Jim? It, start, it started as a worry when I started watching the show, because I really liked it. But I'm like, well, I'm worried the show has this problem. And it ended up as a complaint of saying, I watched season one. I feel like this complaint, they haven't done anything to dissuade me. Just to be clear, you're assuming that everyone who's listening now... 90% of the people listening now have 100% watched at least once and probably twice. And the, the the vanishingly small number of people who haven't seen it know for sure, for example, they tried episode one and didn't like it, but they want to hear what you had to say anyway, correct? Yep. Yeah, you got to watch okay. the whole season if you're if you're listening to this now or you don't care about spoilers. Yeah. All right. All right. So the the problem is like, so this show is is has like kind of a high concept type of thing where it's a kind of a silly scenario and premise, but it's used, that premise is used to illustrate realities about people, the nature of people, the nature of work, all, you know, human drama, right? Fine, good. But the, the show's central mystery, it also wants to do the lost thing where it's like, but also I want you to care about the show's central mystery. And I'm looking at the Absolutely. show and saying- Absolutely. Not everybody, some people, I'm frequently amazed by how much people are tons more into the puzzle box than into the storytelling. I think they're both good, but it wasn't until I got into the end and was falling in love with the storytelling so deeply that I did start getting interesting, uh, interested in the puzzle box. Because once you get into the puzzle box, that's when you start going, hmm, why did that go that way? Well, well, here's the thing. The puzzle box, I mean, season one is just season one. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any declarative, you know, like this show is doomed. Right. But, but season one, the puzzle box is kind of dumb <laughs> right now. It doesn't mean that. And you don't, you don't mean merely that it's just a MacGuffin. You mean it's actually dumb. Yeah. Like, well, there's a MacGuffin, we, well, here's, but, here's the thing. We okay. don't know what's in the puzzle box. yet. So how can you say that? Right. I, hmm. from what has been shown in season one, the, like, you could is, say is this that, similar that, to the question I ask, which is how are they going to make tons and tons of money from this? No, like how well, kind of, but if if you could if you're willing to accept the premise of the show, like, oh, that doesn't matter, it's really just a, a mechanism, it's more like a fable, more like a more like a you know, a what is right. it called? Magical magical realism, or like that's not the important part of the story. But the show seems to totally want to say, no, actually, also this story that we're telling. That is also a mystery that we re- will be revealed, and you're supposed to take it seriously. I'm like, right. so I'm supposed to take it seriously, and these are supposed to be humans on Earth? Because well, okay, well, doesn't make me, any <clears throat> sense from the context okay, of well, humans let, let on Earth. Let me be the dumb guy here for a minute, um, but just for a minute. Um, um, true facts data. It seems to me that one of the fascinating twists of this show is that we are, are, our friends are working in the severance level, the basement of this giant, giant complex. It's, they make it very clear in so many ways, so many different times that it's, they make it clear to us that we should regard it as being a very unclear fact how many people are involved in this project, this company, like whatever it is, right? And 
you know, some people are, again, I can't understand why people have such a problem understanding that this is, a, it's essentially Scientology. It's a Scientology, but a Scientology as like an unapologetic company, but which means there's something to that, right? But I feel like the, the twist that comes eventually after realizing things like, hey, not everybody in severance is severed. Wow, that seems really important. Uh, it seems to me that the, the the twist that we get or the, the thing that makes makes things interesting by halfway through is, yeah, all these people work in severance on this strange project we can't understand, but is it not fair to say that the twist is that the, what is it that was a Coolidge? You know, Hoover said that the business of America is business. The business of severance is severance. So part of being severed is not realizing that severance as a thing, they're in an experiment about severance and they don't know that. They, well, any nor Audi knows that this is a, appears to me, to Merlin Mann, to be a pilot program for something much, much bigger. That is not confirmed until the last episode, well, the, as far the, as I can my, tell. My criticism is basically that they don't know it, but they're in a television show about severance. That's the mm. criticism, basically. Like the the the, the premise, the mm. only premise that makes sense is, oh, well, it's a television show, and mm. and this is the premise of the television show, so we can have drama. Only, only one, right? Because mm. the you know, no, like not really, obviously, but I'm saying it looks like a, a, a constructed scenario that would make for a good television you, you show. You mean as in like the Silver, Sarah Silverman program, where sometimes we literally step out of, like, you see the camera. And like no, Pat no, Oswalt not, has not to remind in the her. Sense of the show, I'm saying like the, the only place this premise makes sense is as a premise for a TV show. In universe, so far, it doesn't make a well, lick tell of Scientology sense. Scientology, that but, they made no, a lot of money Scientology, off of Scientology, Scientology makes sense. Scientology makes perfect sense. It's a, it's a cult. You control people. You make money. You have sex with you know like. It's, but you, it's, you don't think the ability to to hire a company to bifurcate your life into well, different it, so, parts. The, would the be part, attractive to people. One of the parts that doesn't make sense is it's this is one of those things where it where is a, a sci-fi premise where you say, okay, but if that technology existed, what are the consequences of that? And those consequences are not visible anywhere in the show. So they want to they want to say, okay, we have the technology of severance, but there are no other consequences that would come from having that technology. It's just the ones That's we need the for, show is for the about. premise of the show. The show is about those consequences. No, no, I mean like I mean like if you could implant chips in people's heads to do crap to them, yeah, how that would change the whole world and not I just this. I think this that one becomes company. very clear when Helly R watches her video and again confirmed by the end of this, which is somebody asked on Twitter the other day a question. There's so many things about this show that maybe maybe I'm simple. I'm definitely simple. There's some stuff where I'm like, is that even a question? Where somebody's like, do you think people get paid a lot to work in the severance area or like not very much? I'm like, well, unquestionably, they get paid a lot. It's just the people who get the money are not the people who are doing the work. The whole idea of that elevator door closing and then reopening and you not, no time has passed for you is one of the most chilling things in that. And it becomes obvious that Helly Arthur, Helena, thinks it's great. Well, probably because she's basically the Ivanka of, of their family, of the Kier family. But, but you know what I mean? Like the, the point is, God, people would love this. Wouldn't you love to be able to send, like in your time when you had a job, like a gentleman, wouldn't you love to have been able to send somebody to a high paying job where you didn't have to have any of the stress and worry? You'd never even know if there was a problem at work. You don't think that would be attractive to people? I, mean, I, I understand why that makes her a good premise for a TV show, but I don't understand how you can have a world where this is possible, but but I don't. But there are no other consequences of it that are visible you, in the show. More so practical, far. real world. How would this work at even half scale? Yeah, because it's not as it, it's it's like saying uh, we have the technology for the space shuttle, but the automobile and the bicycle haven't been invented. Mm. It's like so. What? So you have a space shuttle? But there's no bike. You're all on horses. There's no bicycle. Uh, give, me, automobile. give me some examples of stuff. This is interesting to me. Give me some examples of stuff that you saw on the screen that make this 
incomplete, depending on how you want to frame it, either it's incomplete at covering what this is about or like, what, when, can you think of any scenes or episodes where this especially bugged you that would help it make more sense? Right, so, so one of the examples is like, you know, you want to have this technology and you have people who don't like it. So there's the anti-severance, the protesters that, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a controversial thing in the world of the show, right? There are people who are very much against it and then people who are kind of in it but hadn't really thought about it. And, you know, like, all right, so that's fine. Who seem They're, like nuts that don't want fluoride in the water. Uh, right. Whatever. Right. So there so that shows that there is a slightly wider. It's not like they're just doing this in secret. People know about severance outside of the world. They're all their and families. You know can talk about it. Protesters know about which mean these protesters know that. OK, so we have the technology to implant things in people's brains that change the way they operate. And, and you know, and the only place it exists in any form is this one weird ass thing with this one weird ass company in upstate New York, wherever the hell they are. And there's no other applications of this technology in the entire world. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense, except as the premise for a TV show, because for the premise of the TV show, you just want to have comments on, you know, all the things they're commenting on, which I think are great and everything. But I want, I either want that to be like, okay, it's, you're not supposed to think about the premise because actually the, the puzzle of what the, what Lumon does and who Kiru does and what this cult is about, that's not what the story is about. The story is really just like a sci-fi short story where you're not supposed to dwell on any of the world building and just say, I want to comment on all the things this show is commenting on without you getting bogged down about the puzzle box of like, why are these people into Kiru and what does the company do and whatever. That's not actually important to the story. What's important is everything else. But this show wants to do that and also wants you to care about what Lumon does and why Kier is important and why they have disciples and where the money comes from and why they're baby goats. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, again, it's season one. We don't have these answers yet. These answers could be awesome mm-hmm. and totally satisfying. And I'll be like, yes, this is amazing. I didn't think they would go there. But they they intentionally show so literal, little of the wider world that it's difficult for me to hang on to, to suspend my disbelief that this is mm-hmm. not just, uh, you know, a clever premise for a sci-fi short story that cannot that withers and dies without adequate support structure in the in the larger context of a TV show. Right. And and again, I still enjoy every enjoy every second of the show because I think I think it is it is a very clever premise for a TV show. And I think what they're doing with it is great. I love the characters, I love the writing and how it's shot. I mean, we've gone for hours about like just the set design and the way yeah, they I choose that's it, what we're gonna do. The, the way they choose to film this. Uh, you know, to your point before, it's better. like he just he just shot on the table and said, "Who's hungry?" <laughs> like uh, so Let's much better than kids. so many movies you've seen. The, the the cleverness of how this is filmed and how it's staged, and even yeah. the acting performances just just amazing stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that's uh, that that massively overwhelms this one like worry. Your, your big your big point here. I'm trying to isolate. I, first of all, I obviously disagree with you or don't think you've made your case. But just so I understand why you're saying this. It's that you still, you like the show, you think it's well done, it's enjoyable, et cetera, et cetera, all those things. But something happened where this tipped into a broader consciousness mainstream, like more people are talking about this show. Something, is that what caused you to re-examine this? Or has no, this no, I was thinking this. I was thinking this from episode one before anyone okay. else was even talking about the show. Hmm. This, is a, yeah. this is a problem with the show, not a problem with what people think about it. And it's more of a problem. I don't, with, I don't think you know what, what fiction is. No, no, it's just like... It's hard to it's hard to pull this off um, successfully. Well, like and, who? I mean, it's sort of like you and your name being pronounced, or like what is hard sci-fi? Well, like what what is what is what is a concept this high, big, and unreal currently that did this well? Uh, uh, so, give an example of the leftovers. All right, the leftovers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of cheating because leftovers. The point of leftovers is it's unexplained, but but the leftovers is not. Uh, it's obvious that the premise of the show 
is not the point of the show. The show will not spend any time examining it, except to the extent that it forces sure. its characters to chase after it, only to have them <laughs> smack the down. statue have more toes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, was, what was the polar bear? Yeah, no, like, is there it, a magnet in the tower? What's yeah. happening? And and so, and the leftovers is like, you know, no, we're not going to figure out why it happened, and we're not going to like track that. Yeah. Like, we're gonna we're gonna look at what it has done to these people right. and what it's like to continue to try and, and live yeah. with half of your world gone. And these people will keep trying to figure out what happened, but the show will say ha ha and laugh in their damn face. Because the the season finale will not be, and we figured out what the problem was, and everyone comes back. Like it's not like that's not the point of the show. And so right. you spend zero amount of time worrying about that. And also, it doesn't. It's not a technological advance. It doesn't apply any uh, apply uh, you know imply any other things that should exist in society. The whole point is it's anomalous. No one knows why. Could it happen again? Maybe. Right. Why did it happen then? We don't know Who what knows? happened the first time. Yeah. Right. As opposed to a sci-fi premise that says, suffice it to say, people can talk to dogs now, right? And it's like, wait, so we can talk to dogs. Can we talk to other animals? How do we talk to dogs? Is it all telepathic? Is telepathy a thing that we can have? Can we have telepathy to people? What's the mechanism for this? And you just, it spins out. And it's like, no, this is a short story about sci-fi. And I'm just going to tell you that there's a man and a dog and they talk to each other. And we're not going to zoom back out to let you know the wider context of human animal telepathy right but when that's done when that's done well even if it's through what some people call hand waving there has to be signals i mean so so much uh, in storytelling and especially i maybe in i don't say just sci-fi storytelling but like there has to be ways to shortcut the thing i need you to understand about this and so like you know if it's you know, if it's some like we need to like, there, there, okay, how can I put this? There should not be something in your story where a guy that you work with would go, well, yeah, well, why didn't they just try a different key or whatever? Or what, you know, then, then why isn't the dog, a dog couldn't speak with this particular yeah, why, lips. why do they have a space shuttle, but, but no bicycles? Kind of, but I mean, I think, I don't know. I, 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 I so disagree with this conceptually that I'm having trouble even giving, even trying to help you with an I mean, analogy that makes more sense. With. It's just a thing whether you feel or you don't. What do you it, want me to do? It's a, it's a, it's I want a, to talk about this TV show you like, and you're just telling people why they shouldn't like it. No, I'm telling them oh, why. Oh, sorry, I, I forgot I, again. I, I John had, really well, likes Severance, just so you know. Yeah, thank you. But thank definitely, you're definitely so go check it out, you guys. Thanks you're for doing so great re- rehearsing this. Um, but yeah, no, it is. I don't think I should have to be somebody who who is 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 just a an oaken reflecting board for something you feel strongly about, but haven't made a case for. Yeah, I, it's, it's a difficult, <laughs> I, I admit that it's a difficult thing I, I, to I mean, convey. like, I don't understand how you could ever enjoy, you obviously think nothing has ever been hard sci-fi. I don't, I don't think there's, how could you ever enjoy anything that's high concept, high sci-fi going beyond speculative, you know, conceptually, even magically real stuff. Like, how could you enjoy anything in science, science fiction with this bar? It's it's or is pretty it just easy you raise it, the bar because it, it's well the, done. The easy way to avoid this is to not make the sort of the mystery of what Lumon does or the Kier stuff part of the story. Because if you don't, if the show doesn't pursue that's it, that's the story. But that's if the, the point. But if the show doesn't pursue it, what, I'm why not is Irving? Compelled. Why is Irving so into this stuff? Was that his dad that was in the Navy? Like, what's going on? I mean, right? Yeah. So how, like, how does he? How does he remember what the hallway um, to the um, break room looks like? Yeah, and I it's know. all related. It's so, be. my my suspicion. I mean, obviously, it's just season one, but my suspicion is that I, as time goes on, I will be less interested in like what are they doing with those numbers and what does Lumon Industries do, because 
<laughs> that's not the part of the show that interests no. me. And so it will, be, to, it will become very obvious at some point that the numbers don't mean anything. They've never meant anything. Or whatever they do with it, whatever the answer is, they're not that's, doing anything with it. It's just a way to keep you at the office. Yeah, maybe, but like, but whatever they end up doing with that storyline, I, to the extent that the show pursues that in future seasons, that will make me less interested. What I'm more mm. interested in is sort of the whole thing of like, you know, the Innies and the Audis and their sort of struggle to, to figure out where they are because they have limited knowledge. The Innies have such limited knowledge. That's part of the show. And the Audis don't know anything about what the Innies are doing. And so there's a knowledge gap there. And that whole thing of like, you know, being able to see their outer life and whatever, you could do that whole story without the weirdness that happens in the office. No, baby goats are not required for that drama, right? Mm. Numbers put into little bins are not required for that drama. And so Uh, those, I feel like, are the two threads of the show. And the one that resonates much more with me is the Indy versus Audis. But I I also need to, in the most strenuous way, say I think, I not only disagree, I think you were wrong. I think that's precisely what makes it so... wrong about my opinion, Marlon. I think that, I mean, I, I feel a little bit like we had agreed to talk about how much we enjoyed... Uh, a baseball game and you're still mad about the designated hitter rule and it's like well get over it like this this is the show this is what they presented to us and like i said in our preamble i think that i mean i i think this is a show you need to pay attention to i think there are going to be things that you don't understand there's certainly things that i i can't exactly un i can't explain even if they're like what exactly is the deal with the goats for example like did uh, has I'm was sure there we'll actually a coup out. was there actually a coup for example, like all of that stuff is important because each one of those is only got an eighth of a step away from something about Kier and the company. There's something much bigger than a business opportunity here. That was initially one of my struggles. Like I said at the outset, one of my initial struggles was like, okay, this is not difficult to understand. If you start with Nexium is an extreme example, but if you start with Scientology or if you start with you, whether you start with Scientology or Lululemon or whatever it is, Lululemon, Lululemon, Laura Lemon, <laughs> whatever it is you're starting with, like people like participating in something in a group. They like feeling a sense of worth. And I think it's so wonderful that our our friend who seems like the one, apart from Petey, who's going to like crack this, ends up, it's so, so beautifully comic and so brilliantly well done that Adam Scott finds the book Mr. Milchick left on the chair and has no idea that that's his brother-in-law. <laughs> I speak, love that part speak, so much. He gets, so he, that, he's that, involved, but, but like, John, that's just a different kind of, like, uh, attractive bullshit. It's just that Rickon's attractive bullshit. Really, um, it is. It's attractive and it's bullshit. It's attractive to him because he's up against it with, with what's going on inside of here. There certainly seems to be something of what I will call leakage. I don't know what the leakage means. I don't know why he falls asleep at it, why Irv falls asleep and sees the black goo. I have a feeling I know but what I that black goo is. The paint from his paintings. Do you think? Yeah. Doesn't that indicate a kind of leaking? Yeah. So I how mean, is the Indy seeing what the Audi does? How is that? Yes. How it's is it that? How is that not deeply related? Like, and when they're not sure what to do at the end of their rope, we all go down to like look at the wax dummies, the creepiest like figures ever that's not just there as a cover story or as a way to keep people motivated but you motivate somebody with finger traps and uh, and dance experiences but you you inspire them with with the work of Kier. yeah that whole uh my favorite one of my favorite parts of the show is uh uh what brother-in-law i guess uh rick rickon and yeah, yeah whatever is this is it rickon <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, which is like almost a terrible Game of Thrones name, but he's been two Ricks. Anyway, his uh, the way they play his kind of like dumb self help book, like that is it is kind of an open joke amongst. Come back after the reflection break, (laughs) right? It's it is. And don't they mention fairly early on? It's like his seventh or ninth book, right? And and even his wife is just like I love her so much. She's just willing, just willing to humor him and his dumb self help, right? But. The, the, one of the best things about the show he's, is... Because he's harmless. He's harmless yeah. and he's not unkind. Yeah. And the, one of the best things about it is how profound that garbage book is is found to be by the innies because they have no oh, exposure Adam Scott has anything. been hearing his voice at the part in the last episode. <laughs> so, second such reverence. <laughs> I know. But the fact that he's heard his voice and, you know, of course, because I'm this particular guy and, and if somebody's not freaking out at the same moment I am, I feel inclined to turn to them and say, you realize he doesn't know Rickens there, right? Like you, you realize he does not know that his brother-in-law mm-hmm. is the person who has most inspired his world. He also doesn't his know world. that this book is garbage because he has no exposure to self-help. It's not garbage. It's not garbage if it's what he. I mean, John Sarkis right, might disagree, like, but, it's, but it's like they're such the Indies are such little babies, right? Like because they have no experience of the world. Yes. No, no sophistication. That's why they're able to be uh, sated <laughs> unknown, with finger traps unknown, and egg, egg Delaware, bars. unknown, unknown. <laughs> That's a perfect score. <laughs> Did you notice that the uh, state is abbreviated P-E? For some, I don't know why, but I just, for some reason, something made me just always assume it was somewhere in Pennsylvania. Now, what's the abbreviation? Isn't Pennsylvania P-A? Yes, it is. There is no P-E, right? Well, I mean, so that's the thing. Like, this is my, all the caveat and everything I said. It's like, it's just season one, and they didn't even, like, they left season one on a cliffhanger, right? So it's She's not like alive. there's there's Shivers. so much more to be shown. We don't mm-hmm. know this is even on Earth. They could be on hmm. Mars. They could be in the distant past. They could be in the distant future. Oh, they, they could, could be over in the samurai world. There's the, not just the West exactly. world. Exactly. They could be mm-hmm. in the state whose abbreviation is PE, which doesn't mm. exist. They could be at Prince Edward Island, PEI. They could oh, be PEI, like, like I am Pei. Yeah. I am PEI. <laughs> It's all connected. M I S S I S. All right, all right. So <laughs> hey, I, you played with me in the space for a minute. So Thank I've, you. I, I've had I've, I've had my complaints. I I, yeah. I agree that I don't I talk about articulate it now. them well. It's, but it's, 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 uh, I would not watch this show based on what you just di- said. It's difficult to difficult to me to articulate, but uh, you know, it's obvious that most people do not have the same hang I do, and and I still love the show. So uh, well, I'm I mean, still now I feel like I'm talking to my grandpa about BTS. And it's going to be like, now I'm going to have to say like, well, I'm out, you know, and uh, yeah, they're pretty good. They sing and stuff, you know? Well, so but I want to hear what your, the things from episode no, one that you, uh, that you saw, because oh, I've uh, only watched it once. Well, now I'm so happy that we made it through that hour and 49 minutes. Thank you, John. That's going to really, it's going to make a lot of people happy. I can hear the wings rustling right now as they go to the bird app with their, with their bird monkey wings. I mean, um, I doubt many people. I have not heard a single person express the same complaint that I have. So I really doubt you're people are going to agree with wow. me. There's a opinion. reason you get the tall pointy hat. Um, I just quickly, in terms because this is significant and damning, is that I'd watched the first episode and I went to the second episode. And the first episode I was like, wow, this is really like the just just I you know production design goes a long way for me, like. Somebody pointed out that like those desks are like there's one support and all mm-hmm. four desks. It's just so much great little little things like that. And I don't know, just the production design and the and I love Adam Scott. <laughs> um, damn it, again. <laughs> do you know that line from Parks and Rec? I do not. Somebody it's one of my one of my all-time favorite lines, and it's not that funny because it's a reaction line, but it's from one of my favorite episodes, which is Time Capsule. And Will Forte has handcuffed himself. 
And somebody says, oh, Ben comes in, he comes rushing in. It's still pretty new in Ben's time there. So wait, wait, wait a minute, what happened? And they go, oh, a guy came in and handcuffed himself to, um, to uh, a bench because he wants us to put a copy of Twilight in the time capsule. <laughs> and Ben goes, damn it, again? <laughs> Uh, and then I sat on it, like I do. And yes, I'm still working on a name for this. Why did you stop watching it? I don't know. Why am I not a fern? I just, whatever. I I had a clear night Saturday before last. It's very easy to peg. Because I can tell you that after my family, my goddamn family had gone to bed, I watched the remaining seven episodes of that TV show and went to bed after 4 a.m. There's not a chance I was going to stop. Even as I had promised myself and my friends, this is what I'm definitely going to take slow. No, I blew right through it. And then the next day, I mean, it was basically, it was like, what are recent examples? The Suicide Squad. Um, just one of those things where like, where there's somebody in my house where I'm like, you're clearing your calendar for today. I said to Matt, I'm like, you're going to watch this. Um, I also recommended uh, Slow Horses, which I think is very yeah, good. That's on my list too, but I haven't started yet. But for if you like spy stuff. Um, and, da, 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 da. and so I, the, the, day, the day after completing this, after 4 a.m., I had my troubled night of sleep, and by the next evening, I was re- starting back again. And then, in the intermediate time, where like, she she's not up for more than one of these a night, which is totally wholesome, but I went back and I watched episode one again, and I watched episode eight and nine again. Like I'm just I can't get enough of this world. Episode one, something let's just say I didn't catch the first time. Um, at one point, uh, not Rosanna, but uh. Rosanna's sister, Patricia Arquette, takes a call and goes, um, oh, she's on the phone, you only hear her side, and she goes, is this, is this about Helena? Didn't catch that the first time. Because I, I do love it when they get one past me. Now, I should have realized, Helly R, R is not her actual last initial, but you don't even know your last name in this goddamn place. All Helly knows is that she is Helly. But at one point, Patricia Arquette, I think in the first episode, says on a phone call, is this about Helena? And the other one, there's a moment between Helly, very early on, between Helly and Mr. Melchick, where he's being really nice to her. And do you remember this? And he says mm-hmm. something like, what you're doing. This is a what, great what, thing what, that you're doing, yeah. But, like, when you go back and watch it again, doesn't that seem a lot more important now? Like, when you see it the first time, you assume it's just, like, the typical middle, middle manager. I, bull- know, I know you hate hearing this, but I, I saw that in episode one the first time I watched it, and it telegraphed Helly's importance. Right. I can I can see why this has been so difficult for you. <laughs> I, I, people don't like to hear that. It didn't make me enjoy no. the show less. I liked it. Me I saw, no, I saw it happen, and I'm like, oh, that'll be good. And it was good, right? The, you know, it's like that's the show. The show didn't put that there for people not to notice it. it it's not doesn't necessary if you don't. But didn't they notice also it. put goats in there, right? Well, the goats are a separate thing, but they do actually. The show, uh, All in right. the, well, good for you, bud. In, um, in the in the previously yeah. on, by the way, around like episode eight or nine, they do a previously on, and they bring that back just for the people who didn't catch it. Okay, so they're they're nice um, to do that. I don't want to talk about this too much longer because now it's getting frustrating. Um, but some things that I that I really thought were wonderful and effective. Again, this last two episodes, you got to watch them back to back, really. I just, I thought that it was just so tremendous. And like the thing, I think I said on, on Twitter that like, is it your thing? Which is that I think a complaint some people have with this show that I understand, although I don't agree with, is like, oh, the pacing, is the pacing slow? And like, I get it. I understand. Have you like, heard that? I haven't heard people complain about that. I, 
I made it up. I, I, then, feel, um, I, feel, I feel like the episodes are short, like you said. Don't they feel like yeah. they're not long? Like, how long I, are the episodes? I don't they... claim to understand anything. It's slow-paced. It's got its own time. And I think part of that, and again, everybody prognosticates about this. Oh, you know, when the, does the dolly zoom, and I can't get my goddamn family to keep their eyes on the TV. I'm like, watch. And look at Adam Scott. And he's walking down the hall, and he's coughing. And why is he smiling? And that's weird. And what was that little f- dolly zoom? I guess maybe that's an important thing to, to notice. John noticed, really, before anybody else. But... But there's all that all that stuff and the buildup and like, oh, we got to make sure that people understand what this thing is to the point where at the dinner party, I think one of the clunkier things in an otherwise wonderful scene is the, as you know, Bob, of let me explain, as you know, Bob, you know, um, Mark, you know, has undergone severance. And here's what severance is, just in case you didn't understand before. I get all that. What I'm saying, though, is the pace does pick up, not necessarily the pace of the storytelling, but at least the pace of my heartbeat picked up a lot. In the second to the last episode, it's a little bit like, ugh. And then in the last episode, that episode feels 10 minutes long to me. I can't believe it's over. The pace, the intercutting, bringing back that wonderful stuttery sound effect. Um, all that stuff made me happy. But in terms of payoff, shooting my load, I mean, one of the, this is, I know this is subtle, but. It, it always seemed a little bit strange that Mr. Melchick was always taking so many photos with his film camera, like chick, 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 always taking. It was a very modern looking film camera. But the um, the reveal of, what is it? Let's say Heli, a severance story. Is that what it says on the mm-hmm. the museum quality displays? And I got, I got a chill where I was like, oh, this is so good. Mr. Melchick, one of his jobs was to document all of this. And so, A, that's why he was taking all those photos. Um, B, oh my God, this is a different angle on a scene that I saw. And C, and Madeline, I, I had thought this, and Madeline said it before I could point it out. Um, boy, Helly never looked that happy when she was working there. They somehow, out of all the photos, they managed to pluck out, cherry pick all the ones where Helly was smiling and looking happy or laughing. I, I thought that was I, I, when so I well saw done. That, I was like, they probably shoved in some Audi pictures in there too. I mean, probably because if it's what we think it is, and I mean, I, 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 having watched most of these episodes three times now, that's still no guarantee that I understand what's going on. But my, when I say she's like Ivanka, I mean that just in the sense of like, she probably really believes, you know, I thought it sounded neat or whatever. Like she believes in the Cure stuff. And so is the idea we're going to take one of Cure's own family and put them into this to show you how great it is. You wouldn't have an objection to this if you knew that even the like granddaughter of the uh, of the big guy. Well, not not the original big guy, but you know what I mean. Like, is, what, why do you think they sent Helly into this? I I think one of the to things prove, to they, prove that it was safe and and very good. One of the things they withheld from season one is knowledge of Helena the Audi. Because I think they could go lots of I different directions. I think she's a jerk. I, I think got a real good feeling she's a jerk. Right. So she could be a jerk. That's the Ivanka possibility. Definitely. Because, I mean, from what we see. Well, no, but of, also uh, just in that sense of like when you see her in those videos and and she's she's like, you know, butter wouldn't melt in your mouth. Kind of like, oh, I just sounded like that sounded like a cool thing to do. And and da, 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 da. And, like, mm-hmm. and the, what, the way people talk to her is not the way you talk to uh, a, a very nice and sympathetic person. Right. The, but another angle they could do is... She could be uh, doing this. She could she could feel this like <laughs> immense sense of obligation to her overbearing family and father. And really, she's just suffering and like going like basically is being forced to do this by her family. Right. Right. And that 
you know, if she had lived another life, she'd be a perfectly good person. But she's just like, you know, in an in incredible pain and agony of like, you know, like all we see is her sending her any back in. But we don't yeah. we don't see is her dad berating her and saying, you John, have to John, do this. Where and she her, live? And her, she's her crying work. to her dad. But I tried to kill myself. And her dad's saying, you got to do it anyway for the family. Is she, blah, is she blah, in a Lumen? Is she in a Lumen apartment when she's not there? Yeah, that's Where what I'm she? saying. We don't, we really don't know. Well, you get, a, my, you get my question. Like, because if she weren't at a Lumen apartment, she'd probably be hooked up to machinery most of the time. People wanting to find, look for leaks to be able to see if there's any traces of her, any yeah. so, in her so, Audi world. So there's lots of different ways, but they, but they didn't show us that at all. Like, we this saw season, where so everybody else lives, but not her. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they have to not show that to, to hide, you know, to save the reveal. But even in those final episodes, we, we spend the whole time with any how you are, right? And then we can yeah. relate to her and we know her from the whole thing. And we think poorly of her Audi for sure. I mean, we thought poorly of her as soon as she got chucked back through that door, even before she tried to kill herself, right? Yeah. It's like, what kind of monster would do this essentially to themselves and under what circumstances? That was another big clue that like, who would be this motivated to continue to work on the severed floor? Because it's already been shown that at least in the people we know, in most instances, they were trying to get away from something. Yeah, like especially well, in the case of Mark. And like, if something terrible happened to your any, would you send yourself back into work the next they day? They do that well, cut. It's almost like a match cut where they go from him being being sent into the um, break room to the cut, like a, a fast cut to then his his like bruised looking knuckles mm-hmm. as an Audi, and says like, "Well, apparently I would have jammed it, putting up a water yeah, bottle." They, they, they basically like that. give you the same excuses like the you know abused spouses would say of like, "Oh, I, I fell, fell down, down the, the stairs." stairs right? Yeah, I walked into yeah. a doorknob. Right, and and the and the Audi buys it or seems to buy it anyway. But but the, but, the 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 I mean that's the that's the part that's so chilling and wonderful to me is and like I think to to see otherwise is not being emotionally honest. It would be great to have somebody in there doing all this work for you and you don't have to deal with it at all. It'd be amazing in the same way that the the hellish existence of an innie is never knowing anything but being in the office. The 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 relatively heaven like life of somebody. I mean, and, and that's why, for example, at first I was initially, I was confused at first when Milchik is talking to Dylan and Dylan says, we good, because of course he knows that he has an innie. He just doesn't know anything about the innie. The innie doesn't know about the Audi, but it's important. Remember the Audi knows they have an innie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward though. That is, uh, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it and, uh, I'm really grateful for it. And, it's weird. I mean, before I watched it, I mean, like, I, I liked it more than I expected to like it, but I continue to worry, like, if I like it too much. Not for the reasons, the poor reasons you've given, but because, like, I don't want to oversell it and then have people go, well, yeah, well, that was a lot, you know? I mean, may, I think maybe you're potentially sensing the same thing I'm sensing, and it's going to be hard to mm. land this sucker. Which also reminds me, I want to watch Devs. I think I want to give Devs another try. Devs? I've never heard of that. Oh, no, you're the one who told me. Remember Doves? you said... D E V S. Oh, devs, devs. They did not land Warsh. that sucker. Did not Warsh. land it. <laughs> yeah, you told me, and that's why I stopped. I'm I'm helping you here. Get. I'm helping you. <laughs> like, okay, so I'll watch the pirate show. At um, Severance, to be clear, Severance is way better than Devs. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you so much to everybody for tuning in. Uh, TV can be really great. You know, get out there, lean into it. What else do I love right now? Yeah, yeah. Our flag it means death is really, really funny. What else are we loving right now? Watching a lot of uh, Peacemaker and Suicide Squad. I'm, I'm watching, speaking of things that you should not watch and are not watching, the Halo TV show. 
The video game. You know the video is, game is Halo? Good? Haven't people tried before and it wasn't great? No, this is the, as far as I'm aware, this is the first attempt to make a TV show. It's like a, an officially like video gamey video, like tied in with the company and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. It's And is it, it's really good? No, it is not. <laughs> oh. But oh, look, look, I'm giving them well, Battleship was good. No, like it, it makes more sense than a battleship movie because the video game has a character and a story. <laughs> right. and, Somebody you know. has to keep carrying on those bastics of red pegs. <laughs> yeah, but like it's such a Halo is so fascinating because you watch it and you're like, is this really low budget? I mean, or, it's or is dumb this... for me to say it would be like making a Fortnite game. I guess Fortnite would make more sense because you could do something closer to Jumanji. Yeah, For Fortnite doesn't have as much of a story as Halo. Halo's got a story. It's got aliens. Okay. It's got a is hero. Master Chef. Master Chef is he in Portal or this? He's in this. Okay. Right. Master Chef is in this. And Who's he's the guy on the in show. And they put a guy in. The, uh, it's just. It's. I'm just fascinated by it. Oh. I, I flip flop between just thinking that this is the the worst looking sort of Roger Corman low budget disaster. Is it to, like? Is it CG animation? Oh, there's CG. Right. There's plenty <laughs> okay. of CG. And there's people in costumes. <laughs> Don't worry about that. There's there's people in costumes. There's like there's cosplayers. Oh. Like a lot. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. I'm looking for H A L O TV show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but on Halo the other TV hand, show. it could have been a lot worse, <laughs> right? And so I'm, huh, I'm watching. Good I just know. want to see you. Like, what are you going to? You know. Anyway, it's it is not great, but it is oh it Paramount is, Plus. That's yeah. cool. It is not unwatchable either. Like there are some good performances. The main character is a meathead, but maybe that's part of it. But anyway, that's such a weird one that I'm watching. Halo. It turns out that Pablo Schreiber, his name is actually Master Chief. It's not Master Chef. Just yeah, so you know. I know that. And I and I know and and speaking and Gladys, of another, Gladys is a uh, is a computer. Speaking of another weird middle of the road one, I heard that you're watching Minx, and I started watching that too, and I agree with eh. your opinion on it. It exists. Oh, I, don't, I can't remember if I gave a, a, an opinion. Well, wait, what did you, you say? It, it exists. You gave an opinion on it in one of your other podcasts. I mean, well, you know what? Okay, so here's an example of the problem was uh, not Oscar Isaacs, but, and not Pedro Pascal, but Jake TV Show. Jake TV Show, who's also Peter, one of the Peter Parkers, probably my favorite role of his, he was on The Watch. The, the podcast about TV and he's really good pals with one of those guys and uh, okay, good pals with the other guy. And his interview was so charming and he was so goddamn funny. And he just spoke in such glowing terms about, I mean, you've heard those interviews that seem very credulous where somebody's like, this is the project I've been waiting for my whole life kind of thing. Maybe not quite that far, but he was like, I can, I'm very excited to be out and promoting this because working with her is great and blah, 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 and this and that. And then I watched part of the first episode and I was like, this feels like, oh, this sounds mean, but this feels like some kind of like a Netflix Will Arnett vehicle. Like, it doesn't really feel like a, a fully formed thing. And no, that song would not have been popular then. That's, <laughs> that's I Am Woman was not released as a single till a year later. Keep it in your pants. Like, that kind of stuff still drives me bananas because it's careless. And you're, you're complaining about things that bother me about shows. You don't like it when they're off a few years in the songs. Yeesh. Oh, it's just, it's really easy. I mean, like, well, you're the way you are. You know how you're broken inside in mm -hmm. numerous ways. One of the ways I'm broken inside, for example, I could tell you that I was listening to that interview with Jake from the TV show um, while I was mounting an anchor power supply with two Velcro strips on the side of a table. I have a very, very clear recollection of what I was doing when I was listening to almost anything. If you were an M. Night Shyamalan movie, the skill would come in handy in the final act. Every time you saw Blue, that's when I was carrying you. Um, and so I just went in with like too high expectations. And I think it's, I do think it's fun. Oh, I was going to say, it's like even friend of the show, Rob Corddry, when they make that hot tub time machine, nobody would listen to 
safety dance in 1987. What are you talking about? I mean, I can't decide what makes me matter. Sometimes it's the like, you know, if you're going to San Francisco song playing in 1972 mm. and you're like, oh, guys, ugh, no, that, that makes me mad. And it, it sometimes even makes me madder than that song wasn't out for another three years. Because for people like me, like, I don't have perfect pitch. I'm not smart. I can't dance. I ain't pretty and my legs are thin. Like, all I'm here to say is, like, if you're me, you know there's a big difference between, let's say, I don't know, girls just want to have fun and opportunities. And I remember hearing, I remember hearing pop music by M on a military school trip to Bush Gardens in what had to be 1979. I remember Heartache Tonight playing when I was waiting in line for waffles at military school. And I remember Heartache Tonight being on when I rolled my car in the late 90s. I, I can remember what I was listening to when I wrecked almost anything, including my life. <laughs> and I think, that's, I think that's careless and shit. And I don't want to be mad at any particular person. But if you're, if you're going to use, swear to God, I mean, I was thinking today at Cable News, and I was thinking, if you want to use any ukulele in a commercial, it should, it should cost double. We really need to stop with the ukuleles. But also, I think we've had too many, let's say, look, wait, Fortunate Son. It ain't me! I no Fortunate Son! Like, I think Forrest Gump might have kicked that off. A lot of this bad habit started with Apocalypse Now. It certainly happened earlier, but like, you know... We're a long way from like all the way to Memphis uh, being in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. We're a pretty long way, from, like a bunch of songs or like, oh, here's one for, for you and your people, um, Different Burrow. But um, the first time I ever heard one of my all-time favorite Elton John songs is a song called Amarina from that Dirt Cowboy album. And it's the opening, the wonderful 1970s opening to Dog Day Afternoon. Do, 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 do. You know what I'm talking about? Lately, I've been thinking how much I met my lady, I'm a reader. And then you cut and like, oh, and it's got, it's got, and Sal is there. Oh, but now today it's just so lazy to just play Fortunate Son and, and with a, Amy. Yeah, okay, I don't, I don't think Forrest Gump uh, we'll started that. I think Forrest Gump ended it. No, dude. I mean, I mean okay, sh- so like, what song, what song Gump do you is the know last Fortunate movie that should Son be allowed from? to do that. What song do you know Fortunate Son from? What do I know it from? Which uh, movie from... with Vietnam in it? They probably did it in Tropic Thunder. It's just that there's certain songs where like the way Francis Ford Coppola opens, if memory serves, opens Apocalypse Now with The End by The Doors. Right? That, that's a pretty famous one. Um, there's probably some. But anyway, it's just if you're... Okay, so I dislike musical cue from a famous song being a way to tell dumb people approximately when this was supposed to be right i i don't i really very much dislike that because it feels rotten to me to use something i'm as gay bones for as music to like have dumb people realize it's sometime between the late 70s and the early 90s what do they use as the opening for um the watchman tv show or the, the movie, TV. maybe. That's not the TV show, the movie. Oh, 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 the movie with the slow motion credits. Um, Bob Dylan's Times They Are Changing. There you go. Doom, doom, the greatest credit sequence of all time. Oh, except maybe for Peacemaker. Peacemaker's got a really good one. Then Eagly comes up at the end. Mm-hmm. My um, my kid uh, had, a, had some leftover gift credit and bought some uh, shirts online, and they're pretty good shirts. One of them is Garfield eating something with the quote about fear being the mind killer from Dune. Mm-hmm. 
Have you ever seen this shirt? It's got and Garth, just Garfield eating something, and it says, "I must." Da, 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 you know, the whole the whole giant paragraph. Nobody's ever read the entire shirt. Um, other new one. Oh, a new a new shirt uh, with uh, with uh, with the kid. Uh, Ven- Vengeance is that his name? Who's the kid? What kid? You know the kid in uh, in Peacemaker. Uh oh, the not the kid, the little the little ninja yeah, you guy. know the kid. I already forgot his name. Lucas Matt. Anyway, she's got one with him, and it says he peace mother effer with him and a chainsaw. Oh, I'm never gonna get to kill anybody with a chainsaw. Uh, other good shirts, a lot of good shirts, a lot of good shirts coming in. Oh, a new Suicide Squad shirt, the Suicide Squad shirt. Um, we're having a lot of fun here. There's, there's been worse times, like night tonight, my night with you tonight. That's this is one of the worst nights. You made something so special and so delightful, so excruciating, and and then you wouldn't back off enough to even admit to our listeners, let alone to me, that, that maybe you're getting a little bit wrong. It's still special. You can be special and have problems. We all know that. Well, I'd like to think so. 